0: Guild Ball Tonight, your independent source for Guild Ball news, information, and conversation. Episode 24 for November 4th, 2015. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Guild Ball Tonight podcast. Now, I'm your host, Phil, and this is Bill. And we are here once again to talk about Guild Ball and uh, all things Guild Ball related. So, what do we have in in this week's show? Well, of course, we are going to be starting with the news, as is often the case. We've got new releases. We've got new third-party products. We've got forum news. We've got lots of things to talk about. Uh, then uh, we will, uh, we'll check in on some events that we personally will be at. Uh, following that, we are going to have a, a conversation about running a Guild Ball tournament, since it is a topic of... Uh, a topic of great interest and impact for both of our uh, both of our efforts of late, we thought we would sort of consolidate uh, our thinking on the topic as well as share it with all of you to to maybe hopefully help take some of the take some of the mystery and uh, suspense out of running an event and make you feel more comfortable with doing so yourself. Then we are going to have a, uh, the interview for this show is actually going to be with uh, one of the character creators about the process of creating uh, his likeness in miniature. And then after all of that, we will of course wrap up with our feedback segment where we answer some questions provided by the community for us to discuss. So, Let's go ahead and get started with the get started with the news. So the the big item this week I would probably say is that we have two new season two miniatures out and about and in people's hands and getting painted. So compound and chisel. What do you think, Bill?
1: Now have you gotten either of yours yet?
0: No, the, the shipment has not come in down at the store. I am waiting patiently. It does give me time to finish those last two Season 1 miniatures that I still need to paint. <laughs> if
1: nothing so else. I, so that's good, because I, I have 15 Season yeah. season 1 <laughs> miniatures left to paint. But, uh, but that was because of a painting project I had to get done for Halloween. So, mm-hmm. so what do I think of Chiseling Compound? Um, I have the Alchemist. They're one of those sets of models I still have to paint, so I haven't Mm -hmm. played them yet. So I chose not to order Compound. That said, he was at the top of my list of the four Season 2 models Mm -hmm. to order, simply because he would be the first uh, guild keeper that would be coming for a Uh, See, I don't know how to describe this. Now that I have all but one faction, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I technically have, you know, a need for everybody, but Alchemist was one of my initial choices. Mm -hmm. So Fishermen and Butchers were not in my initial choice. I have them now. Mm -hmm. I'm very happy to have them, plan on playing them, yada, yada. But uh, yeah, this would be the first. Goalkeeper that actually fits into one of my initial choice teams. Mm -hmm. But they're also at the back end of the teams I was going to play from the season one teams.
0: Right. And see, I'm the exact opposite. You know, Masons, Engineers, and Alchemists were my first three teams on the list, the ones I've played the most. And so. These two figures are very high on my to-do list you know they, they'll probably jump right to the head of the queue as soon as I finish with the season one stuff because I still am holding firm to my commitment to not paint the season two figures until after I have finished the season one figures. So I, uh, I am looking forward to them. I, I think I can I think I can say I'm looking forward to chisel a bit more. I really like that miniature.
1: And I while and the I paint jobs I've seen on are are fantastic. Oh,
0: I know everybody is really taking this painting contest seriously this time. Uh, both both of those miniatures have had really amazing paint jobs coming. I mean, nothing I can I can compete with now. Compound, I'm really looking forward to painting, not as much playing. I okay. I. I Compound is a is a you know that there's that 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 weird that expression you know he asks questions and unfortunately I don't think I have those answers you know like I've seen I've seen tenderizer in play a couple of times and been wildly impressed with him once and wildly unimpressed with him once but what impressed me the most about tenderizer was not his goalkeeping it was how brutal he can be as a midfield player and in the right scenario, which he got himself into and sort of devastated my team Interesting. now. And the other problem is that if I'm playing alchemists, I'm generally doing a speed build and he does not fit into that mold. And, you know, my objective is to score faster than you.
1: So, is a goalkeeper where I'm going? No, okay. So, there's a good question there because in my mind, in in I know nobody's going to believe this, but you and I haven't really talked about how to play alchemists. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, that was what the alchemist excelled at—a a speed, you know, speed scoring build that can also do a little bit of effects just to slow things down, but really just as a delaying tactic. Right. And when I looked at compound. He to me lit right up because I feel like I can always afford one player mm-hmm. to sit back and do something else. Well he go ahead. Well I was gonna say, and having him back slowing down your scoring mm-hmm. while I'm hammering in goals, hopefully, mm-hmm. seems like a good play to me. Well, here's my
0: problem with compound is especially if you compare him to tenderizer, is that compound Messes up your activation order because compound does not have a passive goal defense ability. He does have rush keeper, but where tenderizer has uh, his ability that anytime he's within four inches of the goal, the difficulty is raised by one. That is a trait for for tenderizer. Now compounds sort of goalkeeping ability is a character play.
1: Yep. So you have, to, you have to put it up.
0: Right. So if you want him to be at his best as a goalkeeper, you need to sacrifice an early activation for it. That is a that is a tactical nuance to compound that makes him really lose a few points of esteem for me hmm. because generally speaking, now I don't I don't play engineers often or well enough to sort of mentally compute where exactly he's fitting into that lineup. I know that, you know, as that is, the engineers are a team that really excel at goal scoring defense already. And he probably fits very well into that team because I can see that being a team where the first activation is not as important because they have the they have the advantage of range. They have the ability of the advantage of being able to sort of compress the size of the board because they have range. He may fit better into that team where he's messing with your activation order, but in the the alchemists, you know, I well let let let's put a caveat there. We don't know what the season two alternate build alchemists are going to feel like he may right. fit into that team very well because they may be more of a reactive team, but in the, in the sort of running gun Midas plus the union alchemist team, it's going to be really hard to, to, to make the decision to throw compounds goal scoring ability up before Midas or vitriol is clone, which is really the decision that you're making. So he's a harder player to fit into that team. You know, if you're looking at the team of Midas Flask, Vitriol, Hemlock, and uh, Snake you know, just off the top of my head, <laughs> plus Compound, like that's a weird team. You know, uh, he definitely I think fits better into a different Alchemist team, and it may be an Alchemist team we don't have yet.
1: That's fair. I and, and I take your lead on that because, like I said, I haven't actually gotten them on the field to play with them yet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I mean, and some of that goes to the discussion about you know first turn scoring, which is all the uh, <laughs> you know all the all the rage right now. But you know, I yeah, I, I there's really nothing else to say. In my mind, it seemed like it was it was going to make sense, especially since. You know not that the alchemist hurt for uh, influence, but you know he he also struck me very much like a brick like character yes right? that is, is an
0: advantage he right? brings where he needs one he needs but one influence
1: right you get, you give him one, you park him back, he activates yeah. first, he puts up his horrific odor and uh and then you go to play the rest of your game, and yeah. you 're basically sacrificing one activation
0: yeah and that's that's sort of the quandary like I need to play him to decide if. I need to play him to decide if I can sacrifice that first activation. Because right now I feel like I can't, but that is that is through the lens of having not done it, right? right. So I really need to play him. And, of course, I won't until I've got the card and the model and at this point I don't have them yet. So ask me in a month and a half how I feel about Compound. Now Chisel on the other hand Chisel is a very uh, she's going to be a complicated model to use to her full effect but a very very
1: Damaging model when when you do get that off. She's she's a. I love the way she looks. I'm yeah. not sure how she fits into my Masons team, mm-hmm. and that is such a weird thing for me to say because I have. I mean, come on! I, I wrote an article about the Masons Brute Squad, mm-hmm. and you would think she would fit there, ideally. But the reality is, the Masons Brute Squad is built around harmony,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or I'm sorry, around honor delivering the damage Mm -hmm. and while uh well and since you didn't say it while chiselle our uh, (laughs) little black-haired french girl um can deliver some damage she's on this razor-thin wire for maximum damage
0: right and and the risk the risk reward there is is really high like I, I kind of look at I th- look at her her ability that gives her the the extra damage when she's under six health as one of those things where don't play for that because you're just setting right. yourself up to sacrifice two points so so kind of figure out how much damage she's going to do getting there now the 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 thing that I don't necessarily like is I see a lot of people trying to theory craft ways to integrate tower and. <laughs> Chazelle uh, together.
1: So, so you don't like that because because I'm going to tell you I'm I'm all about that.
0: <laughs> I'll I'll tell you what I don't like about that is I don't like set piece combinations because I feel like every time I try to set up a multiplayer interactive set piece, what ends up happening to me is that the 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 first opportunity my opponent has, they're just going to unravel that.
1: You know they're, they're going to push somebody. You need to play more union.
0: <laughs> I've been playing more <laughs> union simply because they all play by themselves, and it actually suits me a little better. But the uh, right, so you know, I, when I see something like when I see something like an effect where it's like, oh well, this player's got to go and get a momentum so he can pop this heroic play, so this player can go do this thing. I just think somebody's getting pushed. Right. right? Somebody's getting pushed. You're not going to get it off. You're stranding influence. You're, you're, you're sacrificing an early activation to set up something for a middle turn activation. Like, I, I just prefer to compartmentalize. I prefer to sit there and say, okay, you know, everybody gets enough influence to do a thing. And that thing is not going to rely on anybody. We're just going to react to everything. Now, am I an awesome player? No.
1: But I don't strand a lot of influence. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is how I'm looking at this. Yeah. Today, I don't think Chazelle fits into my into Bill's uh, Mason team today, mm-hmm. which has one strong scoring threat in Flint, possibly two if I want to bring Mist. Has the brute squad uh, of Marbles, you know, Honor and Mallet in there. Um, and then usually I'll throw a brick or, or whatever in as my, am I already over? I may already be over, but, um, no, no, no. So my last player is usually brick. Um, what I do think is as I shift play styles, right? Mm hmm. Depending on what the new captain does, which I think we saw him, right? Isn't yes, that MC we did. Hammer? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Captain Hammer. (laughs) Yeah, MC Hammer. Can't touch this. So, um, depending on what he does, Mm -hmm. I can see slotting him in, bringing honor out, which now leaves me short with a beater, Mm -hmm. leaving marbles in with Chazelle, and suddenly, and again, I like the idea of tower and the combo play, Mm -hmm. so suddenly swapping that brick and tower combo. And it's a different team can deliver still what I want from Mason's plays somewhat similar. However, I'm going to have a couple of new players, and and people may not be expecting what they see. Mm-hmm. I also love the fact that we uh, we i.e. not us, but you know the Steam Forge guys run out and nerf the crap out of uh, decimate. Uh, b- because we all know I don't know how to play and apparently that 1 inch difference is huge but they put the 2 inch melee range on Chiselle and give her decimates uh, a very similar to decimates uh playbook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You're just going to let that one sit. Come on, I was just I'm trying just, to brush past it. I'm just
0: going to leave it there. I'm just going to let it <laughs> I'm just going to let it lie there.
1: So but she does have a very decimate like uh, a playbook that 's very similar to Decimate, right lots of, lots yeah, of dodges but, lots of early momentum,
0: but she does have one lower kick, she does have one lower defense, so in the alchemy of you know the, the arcane alchemy of of pointing out <laughs> characters, she probably does balance to decimate you know she's she 's a character that I want. I think just because of the miniature as much as anything, I want to I want to play her enough to, to, to figure out how she really works. The thing about her is that even I'm not convinced that she's really a beater. I think that she is a I think she plays that, that role that I think decimate probably is a very good comparison for. I think she plays that that role, she's mm-hmm. she converts influence into momentum, and she does what Decimate used to do, which was control a chunk of the
1: board. So I would agree with you. I think her beater capability is a second run. Well, I, I think, think it's, it's a red herring.
0: You know, oh, I think so. there, there's some there's some players in Guild Ball who's what you think they do. Is is a dangerous way to play them, you know. And I think she's one of those characters. I think that I think that if you go out there and you think, okay, I've got to get Chazelle beat up so that she gets her, uh, so that she gets her uh, painful rage ability, just to get three more damage, you're going to put her into, you know, desperate. Health to get three at most four damage in a turn.
1: Um, okay, know. so so let me say it this way. I, I am not this is not a disagreement with what you're saying. Yeah. Based on what you're saying, if that's how people approach playing her, I agree completely. It's mm-hmm. a trap. Right? This is this is the Admiral Akbar moment. It's a trap. <laughs> However, here's what I see happening. My prediction for Giselle. One, her most powerful capability in play here mm-hmm. is going to be Feel My Pain. Absolutely. The fact yeah, you that get
0: that can, that third column, one momentous damage plus yep. feel my pain is the first playbook first result thing. you take yep. every stinking turn. That is
1: that is what she's here to do. And and that because and somebody's mentioned it on the board already, that is brutal for the shark advance. Mm-hmm. For the Midas charge on the goal, for right?
0: Because any targeted dodge, attack that includes yep. pushes and dodges—that's a very important thing.
1: And then that, when you pow- about, that ability
0: is very powerful,
1: right? And you—and f- when you look at Momentous tackle on two, right? And you look at how she just overall how she set up with her two-inch; those three together. Mm-hmm. Now. The secondary, and I think this is a really close secondary, and this is why I say she's a beater, okay? Mm -hmm. Then you take people who dabbled in morticians and understand how to use crazy Mm -hmm. with people who now want to learn this new thing of I cut myself for three damage because I'm crazy cutter girl. (laughs) I drop to six or five health. And marbles has tooled me up. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, this is a nine-tack model with plus, uh, yeah, with plus no, three, plus two, uh, plus plus two, two damage, damage yeah. on all of her attacks.
0: Yeah, but even then, unless you're going after, unless you're going after a two-defense opponent, you're probably looking at. 12 points of damage. I mean 12. Why are we why are we shaking our fingers at 12 <laughs> points of damage? Right. But I mean she's not she's not bore. You know, she's not
1: she's going to wreck somebody. But, but hold on, here's the big thing. So she's at 10 health. So she's taken 3 to begin with. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. She's at. Uh, I'm sorry. She's at nine health. She drops to six. She beats the crap out of whoever she's there. I mean, even with a nine tack, mm-hmm. you're you're getting you're you're lobbing out three and four points of damage across the influence. Yeah. Okay. And and more times than not, you're doing more than that. But you're going to default down to that. And then at the end of the turn, and this is where the link to you know Crazy Cutter Girl and the Morticians comes in. it. at the end of the turn. Right. She that was all a heroic play. You're yeah. right back up. At ten health again right, and that's that's
0: the, one of the other weird things about her is that I think it's gonna be hard to get painful rage off on a regular basis because she's already healing herself out of uh, out of effect by by going down three and up four, yep then if you happen to use sadism in there somewhere, she's just gonna be healing more.
1: Yeah, but you don't want to use sadism because you can't trigger it off a play, and it's going to be better to attack with yeah. her with that influence. Well, I'm just
0: saying. If. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say you would. I just say. But I, yeah, it's a. You know, one of the things that really strikes me about the these season two characters, and I can say this about all four of them at this point, and it, it's true, is that you know there there were people who were worried about whether or not. These Season 2 players were going to invalidate Season 1 players.
1: Yeah, the balance or whatever.
0: And we certainly are not seeing anything even remotely like that. I mean, these players are all interesting, but not one of them has been an automatic yeah, that that player is on every roster every time. I mean these these are interesting players. They have they have new and and different effects. But everyone I think they
1: could have slotted in as a as a season one player without anybody noticing.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the goal. I mean absolutely yeah. that's the goal of this of, of this game is to have, you know, every one of
1: these players sort of be on the same continuum. So I, and and this is uh, the last thing I'll say about Chazelle. She's bursty. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. and you're right. She heals herself out of range of her play again, but she's bursty. Mm-hmm. And on that turn, when she pops, when she bursts, somebody's getting somebody's hurt. Somebody's getting hurt. Yeah, but
0: and and here's kind of where we come back to. All right, so it's 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 the maintenance phase. I'm looking at my team. I'm going to stack somebody up to do 12 damage. Which player on the Masons team am I going to stack up to do 12 damage?
1: Who, you Phil? Uh, you're putting that on to Mallet. <laughs> no, <I> mean, <laughs> no, I'm not.
0: <laughs> no, but, but the thing is like, you know, so if, you know, and this is the eternal question with the Masons is one player on the Masons is getting a disproportionate amount of your influence and it's going to define what your entire team does that turn. And those two players are Honor and Flint. Chazelle may routinely, in any lineup, only be getting two or three influence, three at most. And she's stealing it from somebody else.
1: Yep. But go back go back to what I said before. For me, Chazelle's yeah. not in my lineup with Honor. Hmm. That's that's entirely but possible. We, we don't have to know see what, what Hammer does. MC Hammer's going to do. Yeah, you know, I think I will play her.
0: I will play her regularly just because. Well, first of all, you know me; I love to rotate my team. I never play the same right, team. Right. But second of all, I mean, in those matchups where I don't like having harmony, you know, against beater teams and of course against the against the alchemists, you know, she's she may be a little bit more attractive of an option than. I don't know, dude.
1: Decimate or Minx or Tower. I, I mean, I'm trying to picture uh, Midas or anybody else popping up Feel My Pain.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. Maybe, <laughs> I mean, maybe she's not good against the alchemists either. Yeah.
1: Well, One-inch scything blow is nasty, but yeah. um, any time you attack that person, uh, especially somebody who can trigger a momentous guild ball on one success. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay, so you got a point. But yeah, I mean, I... I, I I like Chisel kind of playing kind of playing opposite Mallet in in almost the same role of just sort of that midfield stopper who can, you know, where where Mallet's trick is is shoving people around, you know, Chisel's trick is kind of making somebody pay for coming through her lane. And yeah, she's not in in the current lineup maybe she's not getting getting a huge return, but I think the player you're dropping may not have been contributing so much more either. Because
1: really we're talking about a team of two players and their friends. So here's the other thing to look at. And yeah. and just something to consider, right? Even if you're not down in the painful rage category. Yeah. Mallet, if Mallet's on the field, he could still drop single or singled out on somebody. Mm-hmm. So again, without getting into that painful rage category, you're still talking about Chazelle swinging at a, at attack of nine, mm-hmm. and that's potentially a burst up to eleven standing still. Yeah, that's uh, I'm true. sorry. That would be twelve. Yeah. S- a surge up to twelve standing still. Ooh, yeah, she could throw. Bucket of dice. That's I true, mean, she's right? only got seven slots in her playbook. Mm-hmm. Right?
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying she's not good. I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying maybe don't. Maybe don't expect her to work the way you think she does, but see the cool things that she can do when she's not doing that, because she's not going to be doing that all the time.
1: Right. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah.
0: So all right. <laughs> so
1: yeah. So, so there we go. Chisel and, um, and
0: and I uh, really I really want to paint both of those players. So hopefully they will show up at uh, down at Armada any day now. See, I realize I can,
1: we have a new player, them. Dan, in my area, and he has Chiselle ordered, and um, I know I will be facing her a lot because mm-hmm. Mason's is his team. Mm-hmm. So all right so uh
0: you know one of the one of the best places to talk about uh, all these new players is of course the uh, the Ball forums
1: and and I hear that we can we we have we have new forums so like people can actually sign up now
0: yeah not only not only are the the forums uh kind of spiffified with a new appearance but the protection uh has been raised uh, considerably and we no longer are facing a spam attack because the day after we released the last episode of Guild Ball Tonight, about two weeks ago, they did launch the new forums and we have seen an influx of new faces and new ideas
1: into the forums. And what we have not seen are offers to buy Chinese sunglasses. And I just want to point out, I mean, not only were the offers for Chinese sunglasses gone, which I'm really happy about, <laughs> but there were all of these mail enhancements. And since I was just recently told how lacking I was, <laughs> I've been looking for new sources for mail enhancements. Yes.
0: Well, you know, I, uh, I'm i just old enough that I've given up on mail enhancements. <laughs> you know, I, like I, got, I got nothing left to enhance. But, you know, the, uh, yeah, it's definitely, it, it's great to see, it's great to see the forums kind of back. Open
1: yes. for business, and, uh, and and it was nice to see the influx of people, especially since I um I've actually had a number of, uh, of friends and people contact me mentioning uh, through a couple of different areas. Hey, is there any way we can get onto the forums yeah. now? The answer is yes, yes indeed. Yeah, and it was
0: you know I, I, let, let's be honest, it was a bit of an embarrassment. I mean, we understood why the the registration had to be had to be limited and it was that that old site was aggressively targeted by those spammers oh yeah but it was a little bit of an embarrassment that for for that couple of months we didn't have the ability to convert new players into new forum posters and now thankfully we are we are beyond that and uh it is it is fun times again. Now, the one complaint I have with the new forums, and I would appreciate if anybody out there knows how to do this, let me know because it's entirely possible. I've just missed it.
1: You talking about the rules form.
0: No, no. What I'm talking about is the fact that I have not figured out how to quickly jump to the last, to the first unread post when you open a topic. Oh, it seems like sure. I have to scroll through it all. So if I'm just missing the the link to click on, somebody tell me. Yeah, and when you find out, Phil, please let me know. Yeah, I know it's kind of frustrating. Cause, I mean, because the, the old tr- forum did that sort of automatically. Yep. The new forum does not seem to do it at all. So I, I
1: think that and the. Um, uh, 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 ordered by vote posts oh, in the yeah. rules I've forum. I've never been a big fan
0: of voting and downvoting. I I want a conversation. I, but you know that's that's one of those generational things. You know, this is, this you is know, we're I'd, old we're old BBS yeah, guys and I'd, these are new kids and I'd
1: be okay if the rules question itself were voted up or down.
0: Yeah.
1: But when the answer posts inside are voted up and down mm-hmm. so that none of the conversation makes sense. Yeah. I, I I just get drastically confused. Yeah, that's understandable. I, so I, I, hopefully I put, I put my old man hat on exactly. and just wander around mumbling to myself.
0: Yeah. So hopefully some of these will be growing pains and, and we'll figure it out. But you know, at the end of the day, I would I would rather have a, an open and uh, very active forum, which is what we have, than a forum that's got one or two minor little features that I miss. So good to see that back. So. Uh Next on the agenda so we have uh we have been seeing some pictures of some new storage options for for our guild ball toys, and that is in the form of some new custom cut battle foam trays now i 'm not a battle foam guy, you know as people who've seen the uh, Seen my review video for the KR cases. I I am all in on KR and it's simply because it's one of those, you know, storage solutions can be one of those things where you hit a critical mass and it becomes cost effective only to stay in one ecosystem and I'm I'm kind of there. Yep. But Bill, you are uh, a battle foam. I'm on user. the other side. Yes. Yeah.
1: I never got into KR and was into battle foam right from the beginning.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um so what they've done, I mean, BattleFoam has finally come across Guild Ball. <laughs> All hail Guild Ball.
0: Yes. Um, everybody's everybody's coming in, man. Everybody's I, coming here's in.
1: Here's what I love about this. It's very validating to me, because when I got my Guild Ball stuff in, I, lo- I laid everything out, I looked at everything and said, oh, crap, okay. So... bag, well, that's the same bag. Romeo ended up picking a battle foam for the Guild ball bag, um, and then he did some custom cutout foam.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, his topper, my opinion, fantastic.
0: Yeah, the he, the, the the topper with the embossed yeah. Guild logos. That's a really nice. That's a really nice piece of kit.
1: His foam, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. It's you know eighteen. You can hold 18 30 millimeter base models. 10 40 millimeter base models. You can get a good couple of teams in there. Yeah. Um, I, I, I believe it's on our website. You'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, on our website is the foam that I used, which fits the C4 bag. And I had done measurements to cut everything out. I can get a bit more models into the, in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my foam cutout, you can get five teams into right. five full season one teams. Now, That means you're going to have to swap out with the season two models that come in. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't, and you're going to have to make some adjustments for the engineers because I didn't account for the engineers. But it has enough spaces that, for example, the morticians row, you can figure out which row is for the morticians because it has two larger spaces for both casket and Mm -hmm. um, I keep wanting to say graves. I think it is, no, it's not graves, it's It's um, a uh, uh, guest. Gas, there yeah, we go, yeah, so for both casket and gas, um the only trick I found is that bore is so massive mm-hmm. that on the on the foam that I had put aside for fishermen, butchers, and um my alchemists, on that set of foam, you actually have to just cut one extra little space, but the space is right there for bore if you put them in the top row, mm-hmm. so I mean, everything is in there. It's ideal. It'll hold five teams. So for those people who bought, um, I'm sorry, it'll hold seven teams. So mm-hmm. for those people who bought everything like me and in those seven teams includes, um, our, uh, includes a union, um, there's plenty of spaces for all the models. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. if, uh, if you don't need that many teams and you just need the four teams that fit on the bottom tray, Romeo has a great top tray, which, is custom cut for all the team tokens yeah and do you really ne-
0: do you really need a, a foam cell for arcs though that that struck me as being a little weird like i I would nah. have rather put a miniature in that spot
1: yeah and that's what I did right so so in the trays that I have I have the place for all my goals I just mm-hmm. throw my ball on top of the goals and I fold my tokens into a couple of bags mm-hmm now, I'm not having to carry tokens for all the teams. I carry two sets of influence tokens. I carry my union curves, but there's enough space that I could put probably two more bags of those in there. And all my templates drop right in uh, with no problem.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you can always put templates on the backside. The nice thing about that C4, uh, if you, it's good to go look at the BattleFoam webpage if you're going to check this out. And the big thing about the C4 one side holds your foam, but the side that actually has uh, battle foam C four embossed on the uh, on the um, on the canvas that is a pouch that holds your entire Guild Ball rule book, mm-hmm. and then that zips open, and there's a card folder in there. Oh. So it's you know it's 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 nice. Um, all of my all my cards even my laminated cards fit inside of uh sort of a three ring binder you know card card page
2: mm-hmm.
1: um you know notebook notebook card holder sure. thing and then i just throw all the extra stuff in there my cheat sheets my errata you know tape measures um a flat thing of dice and, uh, I mean, this is – you'll see it when we get to St. Louisville because yeah. I'm bringing this with me. And uh, and that was the great question, right? You were talking about, well, what can I shuffle together? And I was like, well, I'm just bringing everything.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I have that <laughs> option too. I, I certainly have the option to bring because my – you know, I've got a, uh, a a standard size KR case. The way I've got it configured holds 84 figures. Right. So I can bring absolutely everything I've got. I just don't know that I want to take a chance of having
1: absolutely everything I've got with me on the road. Well, so here's what I'm looking at. When you say a standard size, yeah, this is only about six inches thick.
0: Okay, so it's like a half size.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean it's it's small. It's
0: yeah. um. What well, I've got the I've got the the half size KR bag as well, and it holds the way I've got it built out. It holds 30 figures. But okay. I tend to only bring – what I'll do is those 30 figures are in two small boxes. I'll usually bring one box and then fill up the rest of the space in the bag with my little Plano boxes of stuff and cards and counters and all that stuff. So when I'm actually traveling, I'm usually only carrying the the 15 figures. Now, this bag, though, is is small enough that it can't fit the rule book. It's, it's – yeah. smaller than that so it's it's smaller than the the, than the c4 case that you're looking at right. so
1: yeah so my, my cases entire- are kind
0: of on either side of yours
1: right my entire c4 case is anybody who has the xeno shift box I'm, and i only say that because i'm looking at them side by side right now um, anybody that has the xeno shift box from cool mini or not that game mm-hmm. my c4 case packed is the same size as that game box yeah So I mean, I'll be able to bring it on a plane, put it in the overhead without worrying about it getting crushed. Mm -hmm. Put my laptop or my, you know, either put it over my carry on or put, you know, if I if I bring a laptop, throw it over that, and uh, and I'll be in good shape. Yeah.
0: Yeah, sounds good. I mean, and and it's one of those things where uh, at the the end of the day, it's yeah, any either of those is going to be a great solution. If you're already in an ecosystem, you're probably better off staying in it. If you're not. You know, yeah, go with the one that holds the figures that you carry around. <laughs> That's really my advice.
1: Yeah, and um, I, I mean, I've heard all the all the sides, right? I've, I, I, the negatives on both. I've heard that the mm-hmm. battle foam scrapes off paint. I haven't had that happen. I've heard the KR models punch through the soft foam and then mm-hmm. break. I haven't heard a lot of people have that happen. I mm-hmm. really think it's down to personal preference at that point.
0: Yeah, and I think some of these some of these stories are isolated. You know, uh, un <laughs> I, I uh, atypical th- events, <laughs> right? Right. So, yeah. So it, it's cool. I, it, you know, and and the more the more uh, the more people who provide material for Guild Ball just helps to to underscore how well the game has grown and, and what a what a you know a player it has become in the the marketplace that people feel the need to support it with more of this third party product third party product. So, yep. Definitely welcome seeing seeing that. So, one last bit of news and it's it's show news because we love to do show news. And that is that I threw together today just just out of curiosity because because Bill and I are always striving to to make this show a good show, you know, we don't want to do a we don't want to do a bad show. And so I we threw together. We have other shows
1: to be bad. Yeah, shows.
0: oh, believe me, I've got another show to be terrible on. <laughs> but the uh, I threw together a little survey for uh, for the site, just because you know we kind of want to know like what your favorite part of the show is, what your least favorite part of the show is, you know, and and what you kind of want more or less of. And so if you uh, if you go to the GBT podcast Twitter, I posted it there. And also if you go to uh gillballtonight.com, it is the the link for the survey is right up at the top of the the page. And if you really want to make your voice known, I would say get on this early because I'm not paying SurveyMonkey for the premium service. So the first hundred people in are all the people that are gonna get in. <laughs> so, but it would be it would definitely help us sort of decide on Frequency of release, uh, segment lineups—you know, things we should add, things we should concentrate less on, and uh, you know, just you know, we want we want to make this a uh, we want to make this a quality product that the the community can enjoy and appreciate. So give us a uh, give us some thoughts we would appreciate it. So, next up, uh let's go ahead and talk about some events we'll specifically be at. Now, at the end of the show we are going to have an event roundup again, but at this point in the show, we're just going to be selfish and talk about the things that directly affect us. I, so, I, yes, <laughs> cuz that's the power that we have. And uh so the the first in chronology of course is the St. Louis Open which is coming up in let's see I'm going to be on a plane next Thursday so
1: yeah I was going to say it's awfully soon it's awfully
0: it? soon yeah it's uh 10 days away maybe at this point yeah, so and large. At this point, the uh, the event is looking to to be a really nice turnout. There are only eight of the thirty two seats left unsold, according to tiebreak. So we are looking at twenty four guild ball players in St. Louis right now, with more latecomers. I'm sure
1: trickling in. That's that is a respectable turnout. Uh, so, very so, excited so I, about. I, that. I just want to point out how disappointed I was. I, I this is the format and this is the form for me to tell this story. <laughs> so, um, two weeks ago, no, week and a half ago, it was after we recorded last. So, however, whenever long that was, you know, three months ago or whatever. <laughs> um, I. Um, 15 days. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, so I don't know how many people have heard this or not, but my daughter's birthday is the Monday after this event. Yeah. And, uh, you know, family's got events and everything else going on. So after uh, we got back, it was after we recorded, so it was also after the, the demo day where my daughter played Guild Ball, realized she really likes it. Um, unfortunately, she wants to look at the butcher, so I yeah. still have some work to do Man, on her. but. Bill. I, yeah, well, as she said, scoring goals is boring, daddy. Killing stuff is fun. <laughs> but, but that said, so 17th birthday coming up and, uh, we're all talking and my daughter looks at me. She goes, you know, daddy, I, I didn't realize you were going for a guild ball event and that the guys from England were going to be there. If you can get home by the time I get out of school, then I wouldn't even know you were gone except for you know on, on that Monday, except that you'd be gone all weekend, so it wouldn't upset me and then we can still do my birthday stuff for dinner and afterwards. And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> so very quickly I open up my laptop and I start the I start the whole thing because now maybe I can enroll and be in the tournament on Sunday, right? So first thing I do is I, I uh, hit the, hit the hotels and I realize it is as expensive. For a Sunday night hotel at this point, the in the hotel, just to extend to Sunday night, as it's costing me for both Friday and Saturday night beforehand. So I was like, okay, that sucks. So I poke around a little bit more, and I find out there is a Marriott at the airport Sunday night that I can check into four points and stay for free. Mm. So I'm like, done. So I get that locked down. And then I start juggling around, and I realize there's slots left for the tournament. Okay. All ready to go. I queue that up, and then I went, you know what? Before I do that, because this is going way too smoothly for me, let me go make sure my flight, which I believe I can change already, is not going to be an issue. Hmm. And I get in, and I'm going through the United site, and uh, find oh. out, <clears throat> for some reason, I can change my flight to leave St. Louis— At one o'clock on Monday, getting me home at four o'clock Monday afternoon, well within the guidelines I've been given at no additional cost. Oh. And I am excited. I'm about to click, right? I switch back to the other page. I get ready to click on the, uh, on the button to buy my ticket. And then I paused and I went, something feels off. So I go back to the United page and I hit commit and it goes through all the process. Do, 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 do. We're sorry. You have to make a phone call to mm. book this flight. And I went, okay, that's a little weird because I'm going to, you know, I'm a United gold member, everything else. Maybe, maybe it's because I'm getting the no cost, no change fee because I'm a gold member. So that's why they want me to call and I pick up the phone and call. Uh, no. Both of the flights that are in the morning, the 10 a.m. Monday flight and the 1 p.m. Monday flight from St. Louis, uh, they're both blocked from uh, anybody changing things in. I could buy a new ticket one way back or I could leave St. Louis at 6.30 at night. Yeah. And I went, oh, crap. Oh, so close. (laughs) Oh, crap. So So, I'm back into the same status and there's my sob story. Boo-hoo-hoo. I'm going to be, you know – uh, down to learning how to play guild ball friday and saturday only but maybe jamie will will you know um uh you know be nice enough be kind enough <laughs> to at least teach me enough of the game that i can have discussions with the rules lawyers guild you know i uh it's not gonna stop we have uh, a whole I show know, left to go i know, I know. <laughs>
0: I'm just I'm just ducking. Alright, so the uh Yeah, so so yeah, we do have the, the, the tournaments that are on Sunday and uh Bill and I are both gonna be there what Friday and Saturday. Friday
1: and Saturday, yep.
0: I'm I will show up on Thursday night, but probably don't expect me to get there in time to do anything, and then Monday I've got some some craziness with my flights but I'm not getting home until like the middle of the night on on Monday. So I will Oof. uh I'll be around. So anybody who happens to be there, definitely find us and say hi. I mean, you know, it would be one of the the main reason I'm going out is just to meet people and and to sort of enjoy the the society of our game I'm not you know I'm not going out to actually play <laughs> cuz I don't and, you know and
1: despite despite other news I actually play the game a lot so I would love to get games so find me excellent and and we'll play some games
0: excellent so there you go so there's the there's there's uh what you should expect you should expect me to be standing around and talking about a game and <laughs> and bill to actually be playing a game, and I think that probably is about what you should expect us in any situation in any situation exactly. yes so good so that is uh that is next weekend gosh already so still eight slots open it would be it's it would still be awesome to fill that out to the full thirty two but I have to say that for for a
1: Oh, come on. 24. Is yeah, 24
0: is great, right especially given that the the game at this point is more popular on the coast. So we're looking at people who are traveling, and it's I think it's awesome that we're getting so many people traveling already for for a game. That's just that's a great sign for the future where you know if it really becomes a game that people are willing to to invest time and money into going and playing we are going to have an awesome community
1: and so now, that's Now here's my question for you uh uh two questions Phil Yeah number 1 when you look at a name like Dan Sammons from Omaha yeah in, in a group called the Dream Crush i mean come on or a name like uh uh, hold on. Uh, oh, no. Come on. There we go. Nicholas Kulesa from the Storytellers. Which one of those sounds like a more cutthroat win the entire tournament name to you? This is a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, but they're the two engineers, re- registered engineers. Oh, engineers okay. Who must be looking, must for, be looking the for, bounty. for the
0: bounty. Okay. Well, you know, I would love, <laughs> I would love to see. Somebody from from the U.S. pulling that engineer's bounty. So definitely, definitely uh, keep a lookout for those guys.
1: And then I wonder how many of these people are going to be swapping up their teams to engineers.
0: Yeah, once they find out about that.
1: Yeah, once they once they learn about the bounty.
0: (laughs) I would. I don't know. I I would love (laughs) to see it happen. So let's let's get on that, people. All right. So uh, then uh, in December. Uh, looks like you have got a yeah've got something
1: going down december fifth um so uh I, I have to give some credit to my friend Maurice, who is uh, also a pundit in the local area. Uh, Maurice and I will be uh both at this point until one of us beats the other down and actually gets the right to play in the tournament. <laughs> uh, we'll be doing the first uh capital region. You know, U.S., Washington, D.C., capital, mm-hmm. uh, capital region, Guild Ball tournament. So this is going to be a Guild Ball friendly. Uh, we are actually going to be using the uh, friendly format from the uh, from the current set of rules okay. uh, and the Mob Football Association rules. Uh, the only thing that's really up in the air right now, and it's a point of discussion, uh, I've emailed Northy and said, uh, one can we be an official guild ball tournament Mm -hmm. and as such get all sorts of cool things. Like if nobody wins the engineer's bounty by then actually award an engineer's bounty off of our tournament Mm -hmm. and two, possibly get some cool teasers for season two in our prize pack. (laughs) 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 So, um, you know, and the one thing that we have outstanding that, maurice and i are still discussing because of the community around here being so new is whether we want to go with fixed two-hour time limit or if we want to actually use the thinking time uh, using the clocks now the nice thing is there is a wonderful clock timer called the gb timer app yeah, I wonder. I wonder for iPhone. I wonder who
0: might have created that.
1: <laughs> so, and and I want to thank you for Poor creating that, Phil, monkey, because uh,
0: chained to a desk, had
1: time to create that. I gotta tell you, I played with the clock for the first time the other night. Yeah, and um, it wasn't so bad. I did 45 minutes on my clock. I was just using it to time my own activations. Mm-hmm. So I would switch it over and it didn't really penalize my opponent at all. He didn't even realize he was playing under a clock. <laughs> um, and I just tracked my own time and yeah, I, you know what? It's not as bad as I was, as, as I have experienced in other games. Right. Um, so it actually worked pretty well.
0: Good. Well, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that the, the app has come in handy and, uh, for anybody who needs a a chess clock, uh, you can get it on the App Store. And as an added bonus, it even handles some of the Guild Ball specific uh, idiosyncrasies, like uh,
1: the one minute after. the
0: the one minute uh, clocked out bounds that that kick in after your standard time. And also includes a mode for the the speedball game. So it's a uh, yeah, it is a, it's a little thing that I that I threw together, you know, for the, for the benefit of everybody. It's free. It's uh it's lightweight. You can uh, you can download it, you know, without even being on Wi-Fi, yep. and uh, yeah. So uh, definitely go and look for that if you need it. So, and the
1: uh, the Capital Guild Ball Friendly again will be at Playmore Games mm-hmm. on December fifth. Mm-hmm. There is going to be a registration fee. We're looking at fifteen bucks, but that's going to cover things with the store and prize support and everything mm-hmm. else. And um, you know, it's going to be a full day. We're capping it at sixteen. Mm-hmm. So. I would love to see people crying about not being in on the 16 <laughs> because that just tells us that we need to go bigger right. next time. Right. Well, and if you
0: can't get into the capital go ball friendly, you'll have to, uh, console yourself with driving down to Orlando in March
1: or flying. Or they fly. could fly.
0: You could fly. I would, I would be happy as long as you show up. And that <laughs> is because on March 12th and 13th, uh, here in, in my, uh, you know, hour away backyard, we are having uh, a guild ball tournament at Crucible 5, and that is uh, right there in uh, Orlando, where I, I guess it's technically Kissimmee, but uh, right outside the gates of the Mouse House, so, you know, you can, you can tourist, you can guild ball. It should be good times. It's a it's a really nice event. Lots of games going on. Lots of lots of good stuff. And we are doing our uh, events on Saturday and Sunday. Saturday is going to be a standard regional cup, sixteen players uh, cap at the moment. Uh, don't you know if you know pl- if you make me grow that, I will. I will be forever grateful, but uh at the moment that's what we're looking at. And uh then on the Sunday we are going to do the the quick speedball tournament, trying to try to knock that thing out in just a few hours and that should be a lot of fun. So I, I anticipate uh the, the G B timer app will be getting a workout over over that weekend. So and that is uh that is at last at last check it was already uh approved to be a sanctioned event. So let's look and you know, in that March time frame, you know, maybe uh maybe uh we'll know a little bit more about uh, season two by then and and I think the teams that we're gonna be fielding for for that March event should be really interesting. So looking yeah. forward to looking forward to just kind of standing around those games in particular. So <laughs> So you know, Bill. After after talking about all these tournaments that we're running, a a, a really like a a fundamental question crosses my mind, and that's uh, since uh,
1: you're running a tournament, how do you do it? How the hell do I run a (laughs) tournament? Well, well, Phil, just pull up a chair. Yeah, man, I feel old. Yeah. (laughs) Let's chat about that for a bit. You betcha. Uh, Okay, so, um, wow, uh, credential-wise. Have I run tournaments in the past? I have run a ton of events. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a point. Um, it, it, interestingly, this is one of the things that went out on my um, Pundit application mm-hmm. uh, when Northie and I were chatting about this. So to give you a general idea, in um, uh, 2000 and 2012 maybe 2013. There was a year. There was a year, and and I'm gonna try to find the exact date where I ran for Malifaux. Uh, Malifaux pundits were called henchmen, Mm -hmm. and uh, Malifaux skirmish game, right? Similar, yeah. In vain, not sporty, but in vain with Guild Ball, Um, small model count, objective base. So think of objectives as scoring goals. Uh, I consistently ran. A 16-person plus, 16 to—we were up around 30 at one point—tournament every month straight for 12 months, ran a, uh, ran four leagues, and then we would run uh, once a month a Tuesday night short-form tournament with just eight players. All right. So, do I have experience doing this? Yes. Here's a couple of things I would say you need to think about when you go into tournaments. One, as a tournament organizer— don't let it get to you. <laughs> I hear so many new tournament organizers. And you know what? I even hear a lot of sort of the old grizzly vets kind of put this huge weight and in, in emphasis on running a tournament and, and you got to get it right and how difficult it is. It doesn't have to be difficult if you do the prep, if you do the preparation beforehand. Now, Chances are you're going to come out of pocket with a little bit of a little bit of cost and hopefully you can cover some of that with some tournament, you know, with the uh, with the entry fee on the tournaments or make a decision not to cover it and put the entry fee back into prizes. Um, But there's a couple of things to prepare that you want to do. The first thing I recommend doing is especially for Guild Ball, go out and get the Guild Ball Mob Football Association tournament pack. Mm hmm. They have laid out, uh, the Guild Ball guys have laid out a great set of formats that fits the competitive environment and really delivers that Guild Ball feel. And it's a Chinese menu. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so go do that. That's the easiest thing first. Uh, when you download it, copy the link you downloaded it from and paste it into a Word document somewhere. And then go to the Guild Ball page and go to the rules and copy the link for the rules. Don't download the rules. You should already have the rules, but copy the link for the rules. Throw it in that same Word document. Copy the link for the errata. Throw that in the same Word document. What you've just done with those three links in the Word document is you've started your tournament pack, Mm -hmm. which is going to be your player pack. All right. Player packs are important. Your player pack's important because what it's doing is it gives the definition to your players about what you're trying to deliver with the tournament. And this is where you can communicate with the players a couple of really basic things. Are you looking for a highly competitive tournament? Put that in there. Uh, one of the things I do with my player packs right at the very opening of the player pack is I actually put a section in that says the intention of the event. And if I want something that's cutthroat, single elimination, you know, best player wins kicks over the enemy and plays Conan, I just put that right in the right in the beginning, (laughs) right? But if I'm going for a more casual event, I put that in as well. And then you talk about all the basics. A lot of this you can pull out of the Guild Ball Mob Association pack, but some of it you're going to fill in yourself, right? So give as much information as you can. Where is your tournament going to be located? Give a location, even though people are already should know to show up. What does it cost to register? What's the date? Where can they go to pre-register? Give them that address, right? Is it just an email or whatnot? Actually go out and think about, and and this is all in the prep, but think about what do you want the timing of your tournament to be? And don't forget, you're going to have to add time for lunch breaks and for tallying scores, Mm -hmm. right? So give yourself 10 or 15 minutes between each round just to announce announce new pairings and everything. It's going to make your life easier in the long run. Okay. Okay. Tell people how long the tournament's going to be, even though you just gave them tournament timing. So I have two sections, right? So I have a section that says, registration's at 1030, round one starts at 11 o'clock, you know, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down to however many rounds I'm going to do. And then I do a whole other section for those people that scan that and then don't process it that says, hey, this is going to be a four-round tournament. And you're not going to get out of here till 9 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. That way they see it twice and they go, oh. So when they get there and it gets on towards 7 and suddenly they're like, well, my wife's going to be calling me or my kids are called or my mom just showed up to pick me up. (laughs) They've already thought that through because you've tried to reemphasize it. Mm -hmm. So just give them information, right? All the basic information you would like to know, write it down. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have to be complex or anything like that. And then send that out and distribute it on email, put it on Facebook, and bring copies with you. And this is the last trick, I would say. Put your scoring sheet, rip the scoring sheet right out of the back of the Mob Football Association pack. Mm -hmm. And put the scoring sheet as the last page in your tournament pack. Mm -hmm. Spend the money, print out copies for however many people you think are going to show up, and put it in their hands as they register with you. Okay. Now they have a scoring. Now they have scoring and everything they need, and even though you should be nice and answer their question, when a player, you know, in the middle of round two, is rolling up on three o'clock and goes, "When does this round end?" <laughs> you can kind of go over and pat him on the back, and then point at the four oh five that's in your tournament pack while you tell them what time it ends. Mm-hmm. Um, it just solves a lot of problems, and that prep gets you mentally situated to then go do the tournament. Right. All right. So all right. So
0: now let's talk about some of the other things you need to do in advance. You know, well before the the date of the event. Like, uh, I guess one of the most important <laughs> ideas is probably venue. You know, how do you arrange a venue? How do you choose? How do you choose
1: a location for your event? And I think this is particularly important, especially in the US right now. So, the UK listeners, uh, you guys have it much easier than we do because you have stores that are selling product. Be conscious of the fact, and, and I'm dealing with this now stores love getting new players into their store in the US, clubs love having new players come in to play games. However, you're taking up space in the store. And if it's product the store is not selling, you might get bumped for an event centered around something they do sell. Mm-hmm. And until Guild Ball gets picked up more heavily in stores in the U.S., if you are trying to run an event at a store that is not currently carrying Guild Ball, you need to contact them well ahead of time. Give yourself a good four to six weeks before you want to have your event to let them prepare and get them excited about it. Mm-hmm. Now. One of the cool things about this is, and we've run into this, play more games, wonderful store, Huzzah Hobbies, great store, that's my local store, Dream Wizards, which is Maurice's store. Um, They all have different stances, right? Dream Wizards was very upfront with Maurice and I when we started putting together the tournament for the fifth. And they said, look, we would welcome you guys coming in, but taking up 16 tables on our Saturdays when you're conflicting with other games that we sell, that's a problem because we don't plan on selling this product right now. Mm-hmm. uh hobbies on the other hand different relationship when i presented the demo day to him and said look this is what we're doing we're looking at about 10 to 10 to 12 people we could spike up to 20 to 24 he you know he sort of went well okay, you know, why don't we come in? I'm going to put you in the back room away from the 40K guys because there's a 40K event on the same day. When we spiked up to 20 people, suddenly he got very excited. Hey, can you give me that email again for the Guild Ball guys? (laughs) I'm I'm more interested now. So there's definitely these these stores are willing to work with you, but you got to communicate with them. Mm -hmm. Now, outside of stores, you have to think about the cost if you're going to go to community centers, Lions Clubs, VFWs, you know, getting that type of access. Okay. And a lot of community centers, uh, a lot of community centers in the US are going to charge you usually by the hour to Mm -hmm. use their rooms. Mm -hmm. So you want to be able to include that cost into your entry fee and then communicate that to your players so they know where the money's going. Right. Because if they come in and pay $30 for a day of gaming and their prize pack feels like it's $2. Entry fee they 're going to be scratching their head, and everybody who runs a tournament knows none of this is done for profit right but play but players are gamers, and gamers are funny, so <laughs> so you know be open with them on hey look here's here 's the costs you, you don 't have to tell them the specific numbers but here 's where the costs are here 's the costs we have to cover. And, and work it out now one of the things I recommend and I've had a lot of success with when you start looking at areas like uh, if you can get into a ballroom at a hotel or get into a into a um, a community center, um, those are great places to also find a way to cater lunch, bring in pizzas, sort of add a little cost to the ticket right. but bring in lunch right um, even better and this is something the guys up in New Hampshire did. they found a bar that has serves food full full bar w- drinks alcohol the whole bit with a banquet room attached that wasn't heavily used. Mm-hmm. They made a deal with the bar. They were able to negotiate through and basically guarantee a certain amount of food spend and then just let everybody know it is expected that all of you cover at least x amount of you know you could buy more but please spend at least Ten bucks or five bucks on food, so that we cover and and, you know cover the cost for the bar being open for the day. Mm -hmm. Um, That worked out really well for those guys up there. Sometimes these places will ask you for an upfront fee. If there's gamers already working at these places, a lot of times they'll understand that sixteen to thirty-two gamers on a full day event, they're going to spend money on alcohol and food. Right, right. And, uh, and they're usually happy to work with you as long as you're not competing with a wedding or something like that.
0: hmm mm-hmm. All right. So let's talk about uh, materials. What, uh, what are you as the tournament organizer sort of responsible for bringing
1: to an event? So what do I, uh, one of the things I put in my turnip- tournament pack is I tell people what to bring. And what I tell them is bring your models, bring your tape measures, and bring whatever tokens and whatnot you need. Now, behind the scenes, I always make sure to have a set of pens or pencils because people are going to forget them. Mm -hmm. I usually bring two or three extra tape measures and make sure I recoup them at the end of the day because somebody's going to forget a tape measure. Right. Um, Beyond that, the big thing is make sure you have, especially for Guild Ball, right? So, So regardless of what you are, make sure you know how to set up your terrain. With Guild Ball, this is a little bit easier kind of. Because our terrain is not as intense as, say, an infinity table. Yeah. However, make sure you have terrain that's balanced for the tables and make sure you have pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't necessarily – although everybody would love it to be the wonderful guild ball pitches. They don't necessarily have to be the guild ball pitches. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you know, go get mats by Mars. Go get the guild ball pitches. Go, go get felt and lay out your pitches or play on tables and measure them out, sort of tape them out. Mm-hmm. That, I would say, is the bare minimum is bring some masking tape as long as the people at the venue that you're using, so the owner of the game store, the bar you're at or whatever, can give you the space for three-by-three tables and, at a minimum, allow you to masking tape out that three-by-three space, you're good to go. However, I strongly recommend either... Getting some sort of foam table or felt at a minimum, and preferably going with some nicer mats. Yeah. It just adds a it's little more experiment. class. Yeah, absolutely. it's it makes everything a bit better.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, a lot of times you can source that pretty well. You only need a pitch for every two players. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, so you're not buying sixteen, and usually you can reach out into your community, especially if you're the to. Chances are you have one or two pitches if you're organizing an event.
0: Well, and I will say that for U.S.-based pundits, there may be some information about this in the next
1: few weeks. Stay tuned. We'll i come heard back that to rumor. It. Yes. We'll come back to this in a few <laughs> weeks. I promise. So, But the big thing is you know, make sure you provide the pitches. Then make sure you provide um, terrain. Now let's talk about terrain a little bit. There's terrain guidelines in the tournament pack. Excellent pack to use. Mm -hmm. You can always theme your event. So if you are just playing guild ball, no big deal. Go as little or as much terrain as in the tournament pack and go to town. However, I strongly encourage once you get one, two, maybe three, quote unquote, typical guild ball events under your, under your belt. Try to theme your event a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Get some blue felt and play on the flooded plains, mm-hmm. and put water water hazards all over the pitches. Play play city ball and see if some of the people who play War Machine and Hordes or play Malifaux or play Infinity uh, Infinity is a little space age, but go for some medieval and and you know, uh, the the Warhammer Fantasy people, see if you can pull together some terrain and actually set up some buildings on the pitches. Going with that themed terrain is going to change your game, but then theme your event around it, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Let people know up front, do a themed event. Those types of themed events keep people excited. All right, so... Let's see. So
0: you've got uh, you've got your terrain laid out. You've got your space. You've got your rules packed. You've got your pl- your players. No, you don't have your players yet. How do you get the word out?
1: <laughs> so, so I know the way I used to do it, and I can't do that anymore um, because now Facebook has become a thing. Yeah. And as much as I hate Facebook, you need to go create an event on Facebook. Hmm. Um. I'm not even going to try to walk anybody through it. Go ask your wives or girlfriends to show you how to create events on, <laughs> events on Facebook, because I guarantee they know how. Well, that's that's essentialism at its finest, Bill. It, it really – <laughs> look, it, it, and, and it's not like I don't practice what I preach. How do I set up my events? I go to my wife and go, this is what I want to do. Can you make that happen for me? Excellent. And uh, if uh, she know, helps. Or- <laughs> I, I, I will
0: confess that I am a, I am a, a Facebook incompetent. With the benefit of a cohabitating Facebook prodigy, so
1: I will. I am in much the same boat. Exactly, and and again, it's just you know, go go get help. Um, Make sure you put the information out on Twitter. Make sure you email outlets such as Guild Ball Tonight. Hey, we'll talk about it. And and yeah, I mean, you want to spread the word not just in your local community but elsewhere. Now, a couple of the big things you want to also make sure that when you got that whole players pack put together early on, send the email out to the players you know who might show up. Put it up on somewhere, whether it's Dropbox or somewhere else, where you can add the link into Facebook or you know put it into the Facebook invite so people can download it, and then go email it or hand-deliver it to the store or venue you're going to hold it at. Almost every venue where you're going to be gaming... Has some sort of bulletin board, and you want to get it up on the bulletin board, even if that's the minimal amount of response you get, mm-hmm. because at least it's there. Right, right. Um, sure. And and from that stance, you you just want to get the word out. Now, the other thing you should not forget: there's. Uh, we talked about it earlier in the news. Steam forged forums. Mm-hmm. There is this great guild ball event section. And you want to go in there, sort of read through how other people have posted, you can see the formats, create a post so that people can go find it.: Yeah, absolutely. Now the last thing is look into your Guildball community. Um, you know you, you may not be the organizer or you may be the organizer. A lot of communities are putting together um, Google calendars. Uh, for example, like I, I just brought up on my webpage the uh, DC Metro area Google Calendar. and those are excellent things to make sure you get a hold of the administrator of and get your event on that calendar because mm-hmm. there are people that check that regularly
0: mm-hmm. All right, so now you've got now you've got players. so let's go ahead and fast forward to the day of the event. What do you what do you do before
1: anybody shows up? So I try to get there about a half an hour before I'm expecting um, players to show up, before I've asked players to show up. Mm -hmm. I typically ask players to show up, or I set my registration time to be a half hour long. So if I know I want to start the games at 11, I start registration at 1030, I show up at 10 in the morning. You want to get in, you want to carve out the, you know, kind of stake out the space you're going to use in the event, make sure your tables are set up appropriately. Mm Mm-hmm set up a space for you. You're going to want to put a laptop out. If you didn't bring a laptop, you're going to want to put some models out. You at least want a chair to put your tables on.
0: Well, you know, I always need a me space. That's that's pretty much a given.
1: And, and, you know, Phil, you'd be surprised at how many TOs forget that. (laughs) Well,
0: I I, I need that just for standing around and talking.
1: (laughs) But that's exactly what I'm going with, right? You want to have a central area where you're going to be. And it doesn't have to be central to all the events, although that's where the event is. That's going to be good. But you want to be close by where the games are being played and a place where you're going to be hanging out so that it's easy to find you as the TO. Right. Now, as your events get bigger, you're going to be the rules marshal and have other people usually helping you run the event. Mm -hmm. So, again, you want that centralized space so that your other helpers know where to come find you. Right. And it's sort of your job to be that central command and control. Um, Use your time to, again, get get into the headspace, get ready, double-check your space, lay your pitches out, lay the terrain out, and make sure you know where everybody's going. Now, it's good to have table numbers, but at a minimum, in your head... Think about where you're assigning players to tables. Mm-hmm. If you only have 16 players, you don't have to number your eight tables. But you do want to think, as you're naming out pairings, you want to be able to point to the table they're going to. Uh, it's also good to think about, especially in a store, but whether it's in a store or anywhere else, people are who are watching the game, they may have been at lower tables or whatever, they're going to want to watch the final table Top table game, the people who are competing for first place, leave some space about wh- around whichever table you're going to use for your tournament. You know, the people who are in the running for tournament winning, make sure there's some space around that pitch mm-hmm. so that people can spectate. Mm.
0: Yeah, that's a good. That's a good tip.
1: That's a good tip. All right, so we've gotten to there now. Uh,
0: do you want to say anything about? Uh, handling pairings or uh, Swiss format or any of that, or is
1: that? No, I think I mean it, how you do pairings is going to come up, and it's it's really a, a matter of preference, right? Most people do Swiss. It, it's it's so easy. There's so many so many different um, applications out there that can do this, and. I, so I'll say this. Let, let's say this. Because now that I'm thinking about it, there may be the one person out there that's really excited about running a guild ball tournament. He's going to get 64 players, and he's never run an event before. Oh, dear God. <laughs> so so this you, you want to build your quick little spreadsheet, but, but Swiss pairings, simple enough. Winners play winners. Losers play losers. And you keep that up until you get to one you know, one person winning basically you're going to have a constantly decreasing pool is what you hope mm-hmm. what you have to worry about there is ties but just keep your fingers scratched. Yeah, fortunately we're playing a game ways. that doesn't have a lot of ties right there's lots of ways to handle ties but that's really going to come down to experience and, and no matter what advice I give you right now if this is your first time handling Swiss, a Swiss paired tournament the tie is going to throw you off you're going to forget my advice and heal yeah. them up yeah so, um, now, have an idea, and it's always good to, to get one person who's going to help you out that knows the game. And they're going to help you out getting you drinks, help them make some rulings. If you have competing rulings during the day, they're also going to fill the most important role for the day, which is the ringer. <laughs> get a ringer. The ringer is going to play whoever's at the bottom of the stack. You don't want to have a buy. If you have an odd number of people show up, which people are going to not show up, have somebody there who is willing to play in the tournament if they need to and is going to pretty much play at the bottom table all day and not play to compete. You know, play for fun. Right. They get free entry if they have to play, and if they don't mm-hmm. have to play, they hang out with you all day. There you go. I've been that guy. I, well, that's why I said Phil.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So what? Uh, what is sort of the the before anybody really gets going? What what is a good conversation to have with with the the assembled players? Sort of before the first game. What do you what are you telling them?
1: I, I try to set the tone that I want for the day. And the tone I typically want is, you know, if there's a theme for the event, here's the theme. And other than that, everybody have fun. Right. Right. Even if this is a cutthroat thing, we're all here to have fun. We're playing with toy soldiers. You know, enjoy that. If there's questions, try to settle this as as ladies and gentlemen. And if you can't do that, then call me to the table and we'll figure it out.
0: Right. Very good. Now, what are you doing between matches? Are you doing uh, standings recaps? Are you just announcing pairings? What, how are you handling between it the matches?
1: It really depends on how they're how they're ending. When matches end sooner than the time, I'll try to put some color commentary in and, and get everybody together to have some discussion. Yeah. If we're rushed. Uh, you know, if if something's run late or we're running right up to time on the on the events, usually I'm just trying to hammer out my pairings mm-hmm. and get people paired and into the next game. Now, one of the things as a TO you should be doing is while the matches are going on, constantly be walking around, not only to watch games. This is one of the coolest things about being TO. You get to watch all the games, mm-hmm. so you get to see lots of really cool plays. But the second thing is be be keeping an eye and be conscious of the energy level and the emotion level of your participants, of the players. Mm -hmm. Because as the day tends to get later, you may find that you want to start pushing um, the timings and start minimizing as much time between rounds as possible so that you can – End earlier than originally anticipated.
0: Okay. Okay. Now, one thing that I, that I will that I will point out because it often affects me is if you are doing an event that has uh, that is bringing in food, definitely as part of your entry or at the beginning of the day before you've finalized your order, find out if anybody has dietary restrictions because some of us don't eat pepperoni. <laughs> right. <laughs> And uh, you know that can that can be a little off putting when you when when you're sort of put in that position where you're relying on people to to take care of something like that, and then um, you get put into a an, an, into an off putting and an uncomfortable uh, sort of a quandary with uh, what you can, can't, or do or do not. Uh, and that
1: want. would be one of those things I would put out um, if you're serving food, put that out all the way along like communicate it start to finish when you create your players pack put it in there you know please please email me let me know and then ask it again on the day when people are coming in people are already going to come in and register with you right you're going to be sitting somewhere at least writing down or typing on a on a computer whatnot as people come up and go hi i'm bill i'm playing this team hi i'm phil i'm playing this team that's your time to say hey just a reminder we're bringing food in later it's going to be pizza it's going to be subs it's going to be donuts is there anything that I need to worry about dietary wise for you?
0: Yeah, no. And, and believe me, the, the people who do have, who do have a, an answer to that question will, will, will love you forever right. for, for taking care of that. So, uh, not only can you make somebody happy, you can make a friend.
1: <laughs> so, so we've, um, you know, I've worked out some really nice things in the past for some of my, uh, some of my tournaments. Um, the game store has a hobby that I typically, I, where I go game on Tuesdays and on Thursdays. Uh, they, you know, they sell soda. A lot of game stores sell soda and, and candy and stuff. So, one of the things that we did is on a couple of the events, everybody as part of the event got an extra ticket. And you can go to any office supply store and buy a huge roll of lottery tickets. Um, sort of, you know, prize tickets or whatever. Sure. We would hand those like tickets the carnival out. tickets. Sure. Carnival tickets, yeah. So what I did is, through the day, I handed out the tickets, and when I came in in the morning, I, you know, as people registered, they they all got three tickets if it was three rounds. They basically got a ticket per round. And I had worked out with the store owner where part of the cost that we were going to be contributing back. And part of the cost that was built into the cost of the tournament was that many sodas. So all people had to do during the rounds when they got thirsty is go hand in a ticket to get their free soda up to the number of tickets. So in this case, they got a ticket per round. It was a three-round event. They got three free sodas during the day. Like there's little things like that that you can work in that are really simple. A lot of times, these store owners are buying their soda at discounts, so they're willing to work with you because I will tell you what, happy gamers playing tournaments by product.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely.
1: All right, so uh, so how do you how do
0: you wrap up uh, an event? What uh, what are you looking at at the end of the line?
1: So you want to finalize all your numbers, save it off. Go through and finalize all your numbers again to figure out the winner. Unless there is a no question winner, if there's anything you have to calc- you know, if the games are not clearly won each time, you need to check three I, I always try to check my check my games three times. Mm-hmm. If there was a clear winner, I check twice.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? And this is when there's no doubt whatsoever. When everybody agrees who the winner is, I check twice. If, <laughs> if everybody does not agree, I check three times um, You know, or if there's some question. Because the last thing you're going to want as a TO is to find out a week later. And trust me, you won't be the one that finds out. Some <laughs> player will have gone and done the math and kept all the stats. Mm-hmm. And they'll be the ones that come back and go, Oh, did you know that Joe was the one that actually won? And you're going to feel a little crappy about mm-hmm, that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So just double check. And then when it happens, anyways, you can go, oh, well, okay. Well, hopefully he'll make it up on the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then announce the winners, get everybody together. I like to do, um, you know, I like to do it in a couple of different ways. If we're going to do painting or raffles or something, I try to do that first. And then I leave sort of typical showmanship, right? You want to do your podiums is what I hear the, the Brits call it all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to do your, your ranked bottom to top. So third place winner, et cetera, et cetera. And then announce your top winner of the, of the day. Right. At the end that, that, Is a nice build up all the way along. Even if everybody knows who wins, have people come up, get their prizes, shake Mm -hmm. their hand, take pictures. Yeah, Um, it's a good thing to remember. Either on phone, you know, get your phone or bring a camera, a little point and shoot camera along, take the pictures and post those. Everybody likes to see pictures of people winning at tournaments, even though we all look stupid and goofy and
0: tired. (laughs) All right, so prizes. Do you are you a believer in uh, like pick something off the table or do you want to pre sort of predefine what each layer gets specifically?
1: Uh, it has been a long time since I've come up or uh, since I've experienced a new format of doing prizes because I've, I think I've done them all. Hmm. So I have done congratulations Here's a quick printout certificate, and had players perfectly happy. Um, I hear not in Guild Ball, but I hear some of the other games over in the. Um, they talk about the Tin Cup over in the UK, mm-hmm. uh, right? They just do they they do some little Chotsky prizes and and really it, it's not a big deal. Um, it, the big deal is the fact that it's the skill involved in the game, and you won. I've also done events where, uh, you know, a lot of the events we're doing is like I'm doing on the fifth. Um, we're collecting money on top of having a what we're hoping is a prize pack from Steamforge guys, which is still in process. At a minimum, we know that we are taking a portion, possibly as much as 100% of the entry fee, and that'll be going back as store credit. Mm-hmm. So we'll get gift certificates that'll be split out among a set of winners and other people in the tournament as prizes, and then they get to go spend the money at the store. I've also done the – even for small tournaments, I – Over time, built my own prize box when I was doing Malifaux. So we would do gift certificates plus X picks off the table or out of the prize box, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and you know, and I would split the. At one point, my prize box was so big, I had we had it split in two, which was the here are the big winner prizes, which are limited edition models and whatnot, and here are the small winner prizes, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, different things like that. Um, Yeah,
0: I'll say I'm a big fan of the. Pick your own prize because you you just never know what somebody needs. You know that yep. that limited edition Kraken may mean nothing to a person who doesn't have uh, tenderizer yet. You know, so
1: right. And the other thing I've always appreciated, uh, and I started this early on, is I'm a big fan of the wooden spoon. <laughs> I'm a big fan of hey, I mean to the point where we actually got. Um, we got this three foot long carved wooden tablespoon, <laughs> and it's three feet long, and probably—I mean, the, the bowl of the spoon, you know, the end of the spoon yeah. is probably a foot across. Yeah. And we actually mounted name plaques into it as people Excellent. came in last. Um, it was just a fun thing if you do it in the right you know you don't want to do it in a negative way but if you do it in the right positive mood it's kind of yeah you know, we had people who would who would vibe for the spoon simply to be able to come back later <laughs> on
0: right and i do i will say it's a backhanded compliment but the the trend to have the prize for coming in last be a rule book i think is hilarious
1: <laughs> i i like that uh, i've seen yeah. new dice yeah new uh, dice these, is a good one yeah. too yeah so uh you know when I when we were doing I used to run 40k events um the person who came in last at the 40k event would usually get a uh um a box set to Warhammer fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you can have so, some fun with it basically. Yeah. You know. But the key is to keep it fun. Yeah. Right? You don't want it don't, to be don't let it
0: be insulting. Make sure that 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 it, the, the recipient is having as much fun with it as you are.
1: Right. Now the other alternative is I have also uh, I've also done no fixed prizes, and what we did in those events is I took the prizes I had, you know, the the actual product prizes that I had for the event, and it was a whole large amount of stuff: laser pointers and new dice and all sorts of stuff like that. We laid that out, and then we also took all of the entry fee, so gift certificates to the store. Put that out. And instead of winning prizes, you won raffle tickets. Mm. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: every game, and basically it came down to, I'm trying to remember, I I know in one of the events we did, which I think we had the most raffle tickets, you got a raffle ticket for playing the game. You got a second raffle ticket for winning the game. You got a raffle ticket for usually a rare event in the game. So, you know, uh, the first snapshot you make, In the day, in a game or in the day, you get a raffle ticket or something along those lines. So you, you basically, you want just for playing, you want somebody to end the day with a certain number of raffle tickets. And for winning, you want somebody to end the day with at least twice and possibly three times as many raffle tickets. And then you want to give out some other awards. And then the person who wins gets the satisfaction of winning. It was a competitive event, they're happy, they're feeling fulfilled, and then everybody gets an opportunity at prizes, Mm -hmm. but the people who won have a greater opportunity at it. Absolutely. And that was a lot of fun as well and really kind of took the burden off of the idea that we're playing an event for money. Right, right.
0: All right, so is there uh, any quick tips for after the tournament is is done and dusted and you're home and it's the next day? Is there anything you still are obligated to do at that point?
1: Uh, and I would say absolutely because this is possibly the most important thing for a tournament organizer to do. Mm-hmm. Post your pictures. Put a quick write-up, a couple paragraphs minimum, out onto the forum, out onto the Facebook page. And shoot a quick email over to the Guild Ball guys. Send mm-hmm. it to, as it's Paul at Steamforged, mm-hmm. right? Um, send a quick email over to them and let them know how it goes. Even if you're not a pundit, let them know you ran an event and how it went. Right. Because that lets them gauge how the overall community is doing. That's a
0: great suggestion. All right. <laughs> So, some of us who were who've been around Guild Ball since the very beginning—I do mean the very, you know the very beginning, back in the the Kickstarter days or even earlier—remember uh, that one of the one of the cool uh, features of the that original campaign was the opportunity to uh, pledge at a level which would allow you to helped design a character for the game, and a handful of people did take that op that offer up, and and are responsible for uh, some of those characters: uh, Stoker, Jack, uh, Tower, and uh, Midas were all created under that scheme. and And tonight we are uh, we're joined by uh michael who was the the backer who created midas and he's going to uh he's going to talk with us about that process so that uh you know maybe you hear a little a little guild ball history story that you uh never heard before so how are you doing michael
3: hey i'm doing great uh (laughs) thanks for having me on the show phil
0: yeah anytime anytime so uh, what, was it that, uh, what was it that caught your attention with Guild Ball and, and made you so interested in not just becoming a part of it, but becoming a part of it?
3: Well, you know, it's, the, the funny thing is, you know, even though the game is so young, like you said, this Guild Ball has been, been kind of, it's been present for some time now. Um, I was following Guild Ball, and I don't even remember how someone might have shared it uh, through Facebook, one of the groups that was, one of the miniature painting groups I was part of, uh, but I had. I remember I had seen Gilball's Balls uh, Kickstarter page while it was still in the rough draft phase, where you can yeah. start and they let you know that it launches, um, and that was, I mean, was it January of fourteen or the end of two thousand thirteen mm-hmm. when that ended? So it, I don't remember what it is, but I remember seeing seeing the art and thinking, "Wow, this looks great!" And uh, you know, it was more than a tabletop gamer. I would consider maybe not a good painter, but I would consider myself a painter. And when I saw these uh, the sculpts that they had available, because they, you know, they had some work work in progress sculpts and, and all the character art, um, I was like, this is this is the game for me. Yeah. Um, you know, Doug, Doug's artwork really, you know, and as as you know, a lot of us aren't just tabletop gamers. I think a lot of us are also video gamers as well. And Doug, who does the art for the four main teams. Um, ha- does a lot of uh, video game concept work. He's done concept artwork for for Killzone, and it definitely has that really nice cinematic feel to it. And that, combined with just the richness of the world that they had shown, I was like, this this is it. I need to pledge. And I was mm-hmm. a I was a day one uh, backer for Guild Ball.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh so why why did you? why did you decide to do a, a character creator pledge? What was the, what was your thought process there?
3: I, just, I was just feeling a little crazy. No, no <laughs> one had a, it's true. I mean, and no, at that time, no one had pledged character backer Okay. Uh, there. You know, they had the, I believe at that point they did have the guild insider, uh, but no one had actually pledged in a character and they had, they hadn't announced any of the additional teams yet. Um, there was some chatter about what they would be in the comment section um uh, yeah, as always I knew, yeah i i knew that there would be brewers and alchemists coming but no one had actually seen them yet or known anything about how they would play outside of just some some general conjecture but i i was going through my Kickstarter messages uh, before a call and uh I, I saw the timestamp. i had messaged i messaged i'm I saw it said, "Hey, matey," and that's generally the way that Rich starts emails, So I was probably talking to Rich, um, but I messaged him with some questions, and I said, "Hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm really interested, but I have a few questions for you about the pledge." And he got back to me, and he and, and uh, you know, one of my biggest questions at first was, "Hey, if I pledge character backers since I'm the first one, um, is there?" way you could put me on the main roster of one of the unannounced teams, because as great as it is to be part of the fishermen or the Butchers, it'd be really great to kind of force my character down everyone's throats <laughs> <laughs> and make sure that they have to play as them. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, once he said, sure, no problem, uh, we'll put you on the starting roster if you're if you're okay with holding out for the Alchemists or the Brewers, I said, like, alright, I'm sold. And, like, the very next day, I, I, I pledged for a character backer. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it really did stem from this, this you know desire and I say it tongue in cheek, like but I just I didn't want to be a blister pack. I wanted I wanted yeah. who would eventually become Minus, so that I didn't know he was going to become captain. I, that was you know, was a super nice unexpected surprise. Um but I just knew that I wanted him to I didn't want him to be a sub.
0: Right. You wanted him to be a, a key player. Right. Yeah, well and uh you know, fortunately you turned out to be uh Possibly the best player in the game.
3: Yeah, that was very very (laughs) serendipitous. So as I'm looking through, and it's really interesting, you know, like, Matt and Rich, like, you know, they have this dynamic. Like, Rich... Uh, looking through the emails, it's the three of us going back and forth, with Russ jumping in every now and again on sculpting and artwork stuff. But you know, Matt is very much as, as he is now in charge of the, the the story and the fluff, and and Rich keeping Matt grounded and <laughs> him saying at one point, "Yeah, Matt tries to break everything, and I'm here to fix it, make yeah. sure things you know work." Um, but I, I I knew right away, like I wanted, um, I made some suggestions for some character names, and, and some of them were implemented with other other characters, but mm-hmm. uh, I as soon as I realized I was going to be an alchemist, I did a lot of, you know, a lot of wiki research. So not real research, <laughs> but, but enough to, to carry a conversation. Uh, and you know, there's all this stuff that, I mean, alchemy is really interesting historically speaking. And, uh, you know, uh, vitriol is another word for sulfuric acid. And that's why vitriol's face is burned. Um, mercury is, you know, the, is the, the pure art table substance, but also you think of mercury, it also connotes fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you obviously, if you're talking about alchemy, you're talking about gold. You, you know, Midas the, the most popular quest, of all.
2: Sure.
3: Um, and it just, I don't know if it was just Midas came close to Michael or what, <laughs> but I just realized, like, you know, I, th- I think this would be really cool. And when I started thinking about, you know, alchemy and then you start talking about the Philosopher's Stone, I thought, what a what a great, like, what a great kind of accessory or, or weapon and you know, alchemists were about AOE's from the get-go. But I said, uh, and I remember having this conversation: like, how great would it be if you had this character on the team, and he deliberately didn't use his AOE's? That way, it's not complete synergy. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a decision that you have to make: are you going to um, are you going to try and stop the AOE's um, and let this guy run wild, or are you going to stop the, this powerful guy who doesn't use AOE's and? Mm-hmm. In the meantime, you know, let the field get covered in fire and poison and, right, right. and all this other stuff. And and they were really keen on that idea. And that's where, you know, things kind of got started sure, from there. Right. And I actually, looking through this email, I, this is a quote that I'd written. And it's really interesting because as I'm going through the email, I didn't, I, this never really occurred to me. But I wrote, I'd love to have my character holding the philosopher's stone and be able to do some crazy stuff like legend says that it can do.
0: And I think that's kind of a cool thing. You know, a lot of people probably have never really figured out what's happening with Minus' hand there that, that he's holding a stone, you know, it's uh or what it what it is or what it symbolizes. So that's probably a, a good little uh nugget, so to speak, of information.
3: Yeah. And yeah, it typically turns things either gold or silver, mm-hmm. so keep those colors in mind. Yeah. Uh, but I'm actually uh, I'm in the process of creating a, a custom base right now, and since it's already it's already glued down, it's just not painted. I feel comfortable sharing it. But I'm using um, I'm using a big barrel and these jewella bricks, uh, which are going to be painted uh, gold. And I guess the idea is he's taking all this metal and turning it into gold and then selling it, and that's why that's how they can fund all their experiments and their their opulent clothes and, or at least in Minus's case, and uh, all the other you know potions are expensive. I guess you know it's, it's not cheap turning the field into fire game in game out. Um, well, so anyway, it's
0: useful to have a guy around who can make gold,
3: right? And and continuing on, like I have some other stuff. Like I suggested, I suggested a legendary play. And I, I compared it to you're familiar with Mega Man, uh, Mega Man's Mega Buster, which allows him to copy the enemies that he defeats, which <laughs> eventually became true replication. And then you know I suggested what I, I called Midas Touch, but turned into heavy burden. Mm. And thankfully, they turned into heavy burden because <laughs> it turned way cooler than my suggestion. <laughs> and then for you know as a, another thing, suit epigraphy. Uh, which I I found out again from that Wikipedia searching, but the the premise behind that is that alchemists of lesser renown, um, they basically have, uh, more experienced or more more well-known alchemists, uh, sponsor their work, uh, pretend it's theirs. That way the, the work itself gains legitimacy. So Mm -hmm. it's like, if you have something that's maybe groundbreaking, but you don't think people are going to pay attention to it. You have someone who's really well-known claim it's theirs. And I'm, liken that to someone gaining momentum that they didn't yet earn. Mm. And, and that, uh, I think they they really did justice to that idea in a way that real, that resonates with the fluff. I suggested alchemy in general, and mm-hmm. also just like a great gameplay tool.
0: Yeah, no, that that is a neat connection. So what was the, what was the actual, uh, design process? Like when you were sitting down and actually doing the, the, uh, the interaction with uh, the artists to to get an actual figure.
3: Well, I didn't. I didn't interact with um, with Mark, the artist who did the Alchemist directly. Um, I interacted with Matt, and Matt was in charge of the, the design brief, which uh, he's touched on in a couple different interviews. But he really doesn't do it justice. I mean, this is like a thirteen-page uh, document with pictures, text, explanation of the world of the characters, the team dynamic. Mm-hmm. um, suggested artwork. And, um, you know, like there, there are pictures of, uh, of alchemy runes. And I mean, he really covered all the basis. Uh, my, per- in there's like more pictures than I'm comfortable looking at of myself. <laughs> um, and one, one of the earliest pictures of, of an alchemist is a guy behind a table and he's, he's wearing a, a vest and a bow tie and he's got this, uh, you know, fancy side part. And, uh, uh, arm garters. And that really was the basis for, for where we were going to get started with the character. Um, I've shown a couple people locally, the, the initial minus drawing, which, um, I, I didn't quite, I didn't quite grab onto, but Matt and Rich were super responsive to it. And they're like, Oh, you know, don't worry about it. Just like, let us see the changes. Um, and that's one thing I, I do want to touch on is that like throughout the whole process, you know, even though there were some frustrating points where, you know, they, I don't you probably know better than I do how many models, but there's you know there were a ton of models for them to to do. They had logistics, retail, and so I wasn't the most important, you know, my minus wasn't their sole focus. There's no way it could be. And so as frustrating as it could be sometimes dealing with that, they were always responsive and always really, you know, always keen to listen to uh any suggestions or or criticisms I had, and when it came to first designing the character, when I needed those changes done, they were done super quickly because mm-hmm. they want they wanted it out while the Kickstarter was still running. And the you know the second iteration of minus is one that I you know it's, it's on it's the one that's on the card right now. Um, this, I think he's great, mm-hmm. um, and so. You know, Matt, Matt's design brief started it and then there was a lot of emails I mean one email thread alone I think has like 42 emails between three, <laughs> you know, among the three of us um, so they gave, me a, they gave me a lot of room uh, to decide how things were going to be um, you know I had general concepts but uh, mm-hmm. it was really them one of the things that I it just kind of worked out uh, is that I, I wanted him to look slightly anachronistic for whatever reason. Right. Um, and so while they all kind of look the same, Minus does look slightly different than the rest of the, than, than the guild.
0: He is definitely doing his own thing. You know, he doesn't have an apron. I think that's the big thing about Midas is that he, uh, you know, whether that was a, an early idea or a late idea that he's the one guy without an apron makes it,
3: uh, well, it really stand uh, out. Speaking of that, another really great thing about the process was that I think, it, it was pretty unexpected. Uh, I just got an email from Sherwin and he says, Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm planning on writing your fluff. Like, do you have any suggestions? Do you want to write anything? And he actually let me write, you know, I, I wrote a couple pages and, and some of that stuff. And he, he worked, he worked what he had in, um, he reworked some other stuff, but some of little bits and pieces of, of what I had written actually made it into the rule book. Um, but I had wanted to explain that the reason why, and anyone who's read the rule book sees that, is, is he just minus just doesn't care. Like, that's why he doesn't use a he doesn't use an apron. He doesn't care. I mean, part of it is like, okay, well, I destroyed this suit. Well, I'll just I'll just generate some more gold and buy another one. Uh, but it's just a matter of there's there's a certain level of aloofness. Yeah, like he does his own thing, and he's not really worried about he's not worried about safety mm. or, or really anything else. He just you know, does what he needs to do. Um, it's just like when I airbrush, you know, I know I'm supposed to put on the mask and, and set up the spray booth, but sometimes you just want to paint real quickly. <laughs> so you just whip out the airbrush and you spray in the open air and you breathe in the fumes and hope for the best.
0: So art imitates
3: life. Yeah.
0: So at, at what point in the process did you start seeing the,
3: the 3D render work? That actually was really late in the process. They had initially, I think they initially projected that, they were going to get done the main teams first and they would start on us around July. And I remember July coming and then, and them saying like, Hey guys, we're, uh, you know, we're not not off track, but we still have a lot of other stuff to do. So just like, just hang tight. Um, but so the, the bottom line is I've been in touch with, uh, with Russ throughout. Um, so, and, and I have been working with Matt and Rich about possible ideas for the pose and the initial pose I wanted was this kind of, um, I if you imagine like little Mac from punch out doing like that, that jumping super uppercut or like a Muhammad Ali, like kind of ducking a punch and also knocking someone out in the same motion. But the problem is twofold. Uh, one, it's a guy on a base,
0: mm-hmm.
2: like in
3: a, it's frozen in time and there's no, and two, there's, there's no other person on the base or, or accessories, you know, you, it's so hard to convey emotion. Like you're not putting motion, you're not sculpting in motion lines so that it just didn't, it just doesn't convey, like I wanted to convey like finesse and power. that to show that minus is quick and he's going to hit you really hard with that, with that metal arm. But it just didn't, it just wasn't coming out right. Like we had, I, I tried finding different pictures and poses and it just wasn't working. And part of it, I, I came to realize through a conversation with Matt is that because he's fully clothed, like you don't, you don't have that musculature. You, you don't see how the muscles flex and tense. And so where you see like a boxer and just a pair of shorts punching, like you're seeing his legs, you're seeing the, 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 power going up, you know, up his foot through his legs, um, that the tense, Turned torso you don't see any of that it's just a guy in a vest Mm -hmm. Uh, so we scrapped that later on and they were really great about it because russ had done some work in that pose and it wasn't really working but um you know we we kind of started over and i remember getting this email from i don't remember was matter rich but they said i said can we start can we start from the drawing board and they they said to me those are the last words we really like to hear (laughs) as (laughs) the designer especially this late in the process. Um, but I, I had suggested the, uh, the Iron Man three point landing, which eventually turned into the, uh, the retail pose. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and that th- they, they sent me a render pretty quickly. Um, when it was time to work on minus, And I think uh, that came out really well. And then mm-hmm. for the Kickstarter alternative, um, I suggested the, uh, the, the Tyler Durden pose from the fight club, uh, poster, right. Um, which I also think came out really well. Um, Now, getting to this, one of the things I will touch on, which is an important part of this process, is that you know because he, for anyone who doesn't know me or hasn't seen me, like he's he looks a lot like me. (laughs) And Russ had mentioned this in your podcast uh, previously. Um, You know, Jack. There's a little bit. I think there's a little bit of Andy in there, but there's also there's some Michael Chicklis and some other stuff going on there. Um, Stoker doesn't look like it. Doesn't look at all like the guy who backs Stoker. Um, Tower looks like. Looks like him, um, but I don't know to what extent. And I think uh, Russ might have worked on my my figure first. But I started getting some criticism about the model, and this was before the before Gilball went retail. And,
0: right, and, it was based on the render, not right. on the actual the actual
3: model. And and I remember someone like saying they didn't like his face, <laughs> and I'm thinking that's my face. <laughs> Like, you can tell me you don't like his pose, that's fine. Like, you can say, like, well, I don't like his pose, or I don't think Minus would do that. But you're like, I don't like his face. It's like, that's a, a person. No. <laughs> this person has feelings. No. Uh, and that actually was pretty pretty rough, like, just when I started seeing that. And then I might have made more of it than I was, because there wasn't, like, a ton of that criticism. But more criticism did follow. Most people were, were hard on the Kickstarter pose. Um, they just said, like, it doesn't look natural, it doesn't look right, it looks mm-hmm. feminine. And, you know, which, as a brief aside, like, it doesn't really matter if it looks effeminate. Like, that's not... I don't think that's relevant at all, but um, you know, be that as it may. uh, Started getting criticism. But then the game came out, and I don't know if it was that... Because Minus is now, like, he's definitely top three in the game, I would say. I mean, for me, personally, (laughs) I think he's the best, but I'm a little biased. Uh, But the Criticism stopped, and I don't think it was a coincidence. Well, and I think but once
0: I- people once people got that figure in their hands and they actually saw what the pose, the the way that that pose really stood, and and you know it is a it is a a figure that is that is actually a very nice figure to paint. You know, he's got a, 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 a like a casual swagger in that pose. No, I think that it's yeah, it it, it really did the the the. I remember there being some people who would who were saying that they didn't like the the Kickstarter pose, and I also remember that sort of going away once people actually had it in their hand. I think that I think the render for for Midas that that was shown may have just been at an angle that didn't sort of give it its its due.
3: Yeah, I I, I definitely I heard some of that too. That they just said like 2D just doesn't do it justice yeah. in seeing it in person. Um, and I do want to say really quickly about that is that one of the things I was keen on in the beginning, because I, I love painting is I wanted like a great paintable model. Like I wanted flesh. Like if you look at Midas, I mean, you have metal, um, you can do real metallic metal, non-metallic metal. He's got a, from his arm you have the, the gem, which, you know, another challenge for painting you have osl because the gem generates its own light mm-hmm. you have the the liquid in the in the alchemy bottles you have leather you have fabric you have skin tone i was like i really wanted to make sure that like everything interesting to paint was on this model
2: mm-hmm. uh,
3: and i think that that's one thing that they did a really great job on where there's this you know there's these advanced techniques where you can really make the model pop like the uh, they just showed the, uh, the studio version of, of minus who looks great. And, uh, you can paint him with these advanced techniques, but you can also, I mean, you could skip a lot of that stuff. Like I, I, I painted one up quickly and it's not, you know, I just threw some metallic paint on his arm, but it's still, you know, it's a model that, that can look really great with, without a lot of work. Uh, but has all those various facets to him where he's, you know, there's there's so much going on, but it also blends really well. And that's something I was insistent upon in the beginning. Not that it, there was no, I'd say, assistant, Like there was no resistance. Matt's a painter, and he he was, you know, as soon as I told him that, as you know, a big thumbs up from him.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, you know, it is a uh, it was a, it was a fun team, uh, to or a fun player for me to paint and one of the one of the little Easter eggs that's on my mind is that I actually tried to duplicate some of the some of the tattoos that are on your actual arm yeah. <laughs> so I don't know that people know about that, but that's a uh a fun little I happen to know a little bit more than others kind of a, a feature to uh to my guy but uh yeah no he is he is fun to paint and to do you know like you said to have. Had the challenge of making that metal arm still look like an arm, and and to uh, you know to to work with those those flasks, which you know I, I'm I don't think that I do flasks as well as I wish I did flasks, but it's a it's a fun thing to work on. So it's a uh, no, he is a, he is a, a lot of fun to paint. So I I, I guess that uh, overall and on the end that. Uh, you know how do you how do you feel about your your lightness uh oh, you know, how do you like your your little guy
3: it, no, I think it's great i mean every time that you know they just released the 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 new and for those who don't know uh, Guild you know steamforge has a new resin caster and so they just started casting um the retail uh captains in resin for the first time and so they released the the you know they released the resin retail pose mm-hmm. and I was like. Hmm. I guess I need 3 of these. So
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. So I guess that's a, that's probably the the best question to end on. Is exactly how many copies of Midas do you have at this point?
3: Uh Let's see. <laughs> I I gave one away to Gary from Hot Drop because he didn't have a he didn't have a Kickstarter um Midas. <laughs> so I gave one to him. Um I have one Two, three, four, six, nine, <laughs> ten. I probably have I have at least thirteen, excluding the um, the masters, because I have the metal masters and the resin masters from the starter.
0: <laughs> so you could you can field a team of yourself.
3: Yes, that is, I could feel. Have a team of myself, play a team of myself, and have substitutions. <laughs> But what
0: what skill would they replicate
3: <laughs> they would just be an endless string of replication
0: <laughs> the universe would collapse upon it all right well thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the show and uh, sharing your your experience with us
3: and no problem thanks for having me
0: yeah sure anytime
3: and uh, for everyone else uh, if you've painted minus and you haven't shared it on the forums or on the Facebook groups find me send them to me I love seeing uh, painted minuses. Uh, I I search every now and again. I look through through Twitter, and I always find one or two every now and again. Um, and there are some really interesting takes on them, and I I really love seeing them, uh, even the really kind of crazy ones. Like a guy did Midas as if he were Burt Reynolds, <laughs> which I found very amusing. Uh, so please, you know, send them to me. I love seeing them.
0: All right, thanks, Michael.
3: Yep, no problem. Thank you.
0: We have. Uh... We have probably dug ourselves into yet another hole, but I don't <laughs> think that we want to we want to not answer any Twitter questions this week. So I think we'll Well get, I heard
1: Twitter questions were kind of popular, so we should answer yeah, a couple. Yeah, I think we'll I think we'll
0: definitely get uh we'll get a couple in here though. So um let's see, we sort of touched on what goalkeepers were like earlier, and I think that's a that's a big discussion. So let's Let's sort of punt that one, so to speak so let's uh let's see Andrew Masura wants to know of our experiences with the post erratic guild ball, so you know in the last episode, I specifically mentioned that I had played a game as union and uh subsequently played. Um a couple of games as brewers because I'm really trying you guys, I'm really trying to play brewers. I'm just getting my hat handed to me over and over again. I can't do it. I can't do it. I've had people come on the show to teach me how to play brewers. I have played them time and again. I'm not I can't do it. I'm I'm losing heinously. Has nothing to do with the errata at this point.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't I don't know why. I don't know why I can't
0: do it. I just Oh, it's a mess. It's a, it's just a big mess. So, See,
1: in, in meanwhile, in six games, yeah. uh, six eight. No, I'm at eight games with my Brewers. Yeah. I'm about ready to swap around a little bit. I'm really comfortable with them. They, they don't perform quite as well as my Union for me, but I think yeah. that's just uh, their play style. Mm-hmm. In fact, I know it's their play style. Right. Um, yeah. No. I. I Anyways, so
0: what I'll say as far as the the, the specific question of posterized Gilball, um, I I found that the the change to avarice felt right. Um, hitting him on a three instead of a two, it felt right. Um, playing with the 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 union players that were specifically targeted. I, I can't say that I felt I wasn't playing Decimate. That's a big caveat there because I much like I can't play Brewers. I can't play Decimate, <laughs> and but Gutter Hemlock Fangtooth—they all felt they all felt really good. I mean, they. I I don't I don't feel like in that Union lineup, and and I know Bill, you might disagree with me here. But I don't feel like they've taken that big of a hit, and I still think gutter and hemlock are first team choices for the union and anybody else who can take them they're still good good dang players uh and uh let's see what else I but i have not myself i've not played against the fish post change and I've not played uh I have not played uh with or against alchemists post change I feel like that's the other team that we really need to take a look at but having experience with uh the union players in various combinations, be they as support for other teams or as a free roster themselves, I I still don't feel like the errata has really hit me positive or negative. Like it's still it's uh, you know, I, I said I said on the last year that a lot of those changes I could take or leave, and I still kind of feel like I can take or leave a lot of them. So uh, you know so, this, this game has too many dice, too many points of interaction, and and too many too many layers for for a couple of numbers to make that big of a difference. So I mean, and we could have a huge discussion about then why do it and just, that sort of thing. You're but, just
1: trying to avoid letting me make my comments. And all, right, a so
0: make, you, all right, so make all right. gonna it. be good. Now, now, I'll be quiet now.
1: Now I will <laughs> caveat by saying there are claims that I don't know how to play the game and I need to learn more. That said, I will remind you – I don't – I disagree with you. If you remember, my biggest – the biggest thing I didn't like about these changes, I felt that the majority of them, the vast majority of them were unnecessary, Mm -hmm. that they weren't going to make a change. And I think you're experiencing exactly what I was saying, right? There there just wasn't a need. Um, I have played – several games since the errata in fact i I played when we got the errata early to review it for the show i had already started playing with the changes um i've been playing union still as my primary team i pulled out my what i would consider my competitive union team it didn't change at all and it played exactly the same i i made minor adjustments to decimate I made a minor adjustment. I ran into one situation with mist where I couldn't first turn tackle. instead, and, and this is what ended up happening. Instead of first turn tackling, spending an influence to where do you go away and shooting to make the goal, now I first turn tackled, first turned attacked, a second attack, to trigger where they go yeah. and shot and made the goal. Yeah. There, there was no difference there in mm-hmm. in the end result, right? The end result in this case was no different whatsoever. Um, I could have rolled just as badly, worrying about the three successes, as I could have rolled worrying about the one success before. I they, like all of the contingencies are still there,
0: right? But uh, I, I do feel like that the. the 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 power arc on those players has been rolled back a little bit but they have not been they have not been gimped
1: that that's fair um i don't feel like the power arc moved at all okay um you know the, in in with that maybe a lot of it had to do with my style of play and that it didn't make that big of a difference uh so here's the one sort of Odd story, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, Fangtooth.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I wasn't rolling, I was rolling Fangtooth out for one reason before. I still roll him out for this reason, which is easy access to knockdown mm-hmm. in the Union. He is my knockdown player. Right. So I still am not at the point, I, I'm still not seeing it. And, and again, I say this, maybe it's probably my play style, but I'm still not seeing the benefit to Fangtooth unless I want that easy knockdown. Funny enough, in the entire game I played him, every time I wanted Gluttonous Mass to come into play, I was moving. Mm. So, because I was advancing and I really wanted Gluttonous Mass, you know, where Gluttonous Mass would have helped me was on parting blows and, and things along those lines to open up different charge lanes for me. Um it, it didn't help me. Right. It so it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Now did it change what my opponent went after when he was looking at attacking me? I think it did, because my opponent instead of burning you know, instead of burning an attack into him which was gonna be wasted, usually looked for other things to do. Mm-hmm. So it gluttonous mass just by its existence shifted my opponent's playstyle.
0: Yeah, I found that as well.
1: But it doesn't but shift a lot. It it shifts right, one die it, roll. It, yeah it's not only does a shift one die roll, it actually in a lot of cases I I think pushed I, I don't know. I it's almost like it was equally bad had they attacked me and I didn't have gluttonous mass, because they weren't most of the people trying to attack me weren't gonna knock me down. Yeah. Right? I had positioned well enough that they didn't have the knockdown guys near me. So I was gonna knock them down on a counterattack. Or they were, you know. They were already in, and, and were we're going to cause the damage no matter what. Yeah, I will so. say
0: I will say all in all, my my impression though is that the the positive changes that the players who were improved have a bigger impact on what I've seen than the players who were hmm. degraded. Because because I do feel like Gluttonous Mass. I mean, it's not it's not the biggest deal ever, but. It's a thing, you know. It, it comes into it, it figures into the game somehow, and I feel like the the armor buff on on avarice definitely made him feel more uh, sturdy. It made him, you know, made him more of a, a Of the defense buff of a defense yeah. buff. Yeah. So I think that those I think that we're going to see that the those big guys who got those little buffs are going to feel like they were changed more than the players who got something taken away with the, with the caveat being that I have not played Fisherman since the change. Those guys are
1: probably feeling it pretty hard. And that's the funny thing for me, right? I I faced brick. Yeah. Uh, Brick with tough hide. It didn't really, I was great, but it didn't factor into my play style because I wasn't already focusing on brick. He was mm-hmm. already uh, in a void, in workaround mm-hmm. target for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't played Avarice yet, so I got to get him back onto the table. Uh, he hasn't been in my lineup for a while, so that's a good thing. I haven't played Fisherman. This is the first time I've gone two full weeks without playing Fisherman. <laughs> so you know, I you know, I nobody in my area has been playing Alchemist. All the Alchemist players still have Alchemist coming. Um, I'm trying to think of. I, I mean, the, uh, I was the one playing snakeskin in one case, so I, I watched a game with snakeskin. So I got to see the clone change, and I, I think with clone, we we locally weren't using clone, quote unquote, right, anyways. <laughs> or clone has a bigger impact. But you on weren't the exploiting Alkanis.
0: clone as the case we, maybe. <laughs>
1: well, right. So. You know, so that's not going to change our play style. And Colossus, mm-hmm. my engineer's player, I didn't play against in this past two weeks either. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get to see Colossus on the table. Sure. So, you know, I've been it's hit or miss as well. Yeah.
0: I, w- I will say that it's probably telling that the the discussion has largely uh, chilled in, in in most respects, I mean, there's there are a couple of interesting topics that won't die, but I think some
1: of that has to do with the people, change in the forums, though, because yeah. the the topic was going hot and heavy on the old forum, mm-hmm. and I think people just didn't want to. My read is people didn't want to revive it on the new forum, and when the old forum closed, that those topics died with it. But they were going right up until the forum closed. Uh, perhaps. I, I, I know
0: that had I had something to say, I would not have let something so um, conveniently timed as the forum change right. <laughs> to be conspiratorial.
1: <laughs> Wait, Stop and see, and, and I know people are reading it because I was following the thread talking about those changes. Um, yeah. So I was getting email updates uh, right up until the forum stopped sending them out. Mm-hmm. And I I kind of got the feeling, I could be wrong. But I kind of got the feeling that the move to the new forums, the people who were having the heated discussion on the old forums felt like they had said their piece. Mm-hmm. I, and I know I was at that. I mean, there's a couple of places where I could have responded to – well, there's a couple of places I have responded. There's other places I could have put my two cents in and I sort of went, you know, I already said something about this, even though it's not on this forum. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll let this one go. Yeah,
0: but and, – and I will say, you know – regardless of of the the volume or the uh, the, the the location of the of the discussion I was I was very pleased with the fact that um, overall I think that the the community showed a lot of maturity around this whole thing there there were I didn't see any rage quits I didn't see any nerd rage I saw some people who had Something to say, yep, but nobody said it in a way that anybody should be regretting, and I think that uh, we should all we should all feel good about ourselves for for having a community that is that is able to to go through a a change the rules of our game without making an ass of ourselves
1: <laughs> it, it, yeah, that's a nice thing cuz yeah, because I see a lot of games that don't uh, that don't achieve that <laughs> so what's our next question Phil all
0: right so let's go ahead let's go ahead and wrap up one last question and we're gonna um, we're gonna turn to Lee Perry who asked this if the season two mascots will fulfill a purpose you know and, and so I think what he's asking here is if they're gonna fill holes in in the team or in in uh, in in gameplay and I will say that I really don't think that we're going to see a case where the the season two mascots are going to be are going to be Keystone players. Because the one thing that I can guarantee you that the designers are extremely aware of is that they do not want the season two mascots To permanently bench the season one mascots, and in a lot of teams, you know, I'm I'm sure that there are people who are sitting there saying, "I hate this mascot. I can't wait for the new (laughs) mascot. The new mascot is going to be so much better than that dang otter." Because it's always you, fishermen guys. You guys hate salt. I don't. I don't understand you guys.
1: I'm not a fisherman player. I hate salt too. Salt is salt is a fast little bugger. He's a rat. Yeah, He's I a know. rat. A of black,
0: but you know, I, I come from a pro-rat household, so we're good here. But we, uh, the, um, you know, you're not going to get a mascot that makes nobody ever play Salt again. And you're not going to get a mascot that makes nobody ever play Princess again. You're not going to get a mascot that makes nobody ever play Marbles again. And I could go through the other five, but that's, you know... That's not the design goal. The design goal is for the new mascot to do something different, not something better. And I think that that a, a success in, in the design of these new mascots will be that if you track rosters over time, you're going to see 50% using Season 1 mascots, 50% using Season 2 mascots. It should be a choice that is cosmetic- or tactical but never a a predetermined outcome. So, you know, don't if you've got a mascot in your team that currently feels like it underperforms, expect the new mascot to similarly underperform unless it's just got some niche role that you are that your I don't want to say mistaken play style, but your uh, similarly, niched playstyle would would happen to support very well. So, I mean, I'm sure that there will be cases out there where the new mascot suits certain people amazingly well. But expect your, that to be sort of a snowflake outcome. I think that you're going to see mascots who very closely mimic the. But I think it'll happen just as
1: much. It'll happen just as much as it does now. I'm sure there's some of the current mascots that fit certain niche playstyles very well. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is sort of like we got the You know, this is sort of like the uh, we got that question early on. Uh, what do we think? You know, what players do we think the season two players will bench or something along those lines? Same answer. Yep. Right. It's it's not in the design theory of the game. For that to happen, right? And so far, season two has held solid with the design theory of the game.
0: Absolutely, I mean, and we just we talked about that uh, an hour and a half ago, right? And <laughs> how the the season two players were impressing us by not being auto includes, and that's where these mascots are going to fall as well. So
1: now I am a little concerned, you know, about some of them. Uh, I have high hopes, but uh, I, there's a couple of mascots right now that I am very comfortable with. And uh, I'm not really sure how to replace them, or I am intrigued to see what they end up being replaced mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. Right?
0: Well, and and you know we we could be having this exact same conversation about the captains. It, it, uh, everything we've just said applies equally to the new captains. So exactly. And you know while you know I can't imagine replacing uh, honor man hammer must be something awesome. So, you know, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll see. So, yeah. So, uh, thanks for the questions guys. I know that there were a bunch more than that, but we're looking at like a two and a half hour show at this point. So <laughs> we will, uh, we will hopefully get to more in the next one. So anyway, I think we are going to go ahead and wrap it up there. So bill, thank you for, thank
1: you for, uh, coming out tonight and <laughs> having a chat with us all. And Phil, thank you. And and you know, I just wanna just put it out there. If you have the chance to teach me how to play Guild Ball, I am in the market to learn this game. Don't look at me, man.
0: I am I am not a uh I am not a good teacher. So And I, I reserve, I reserve the right to claim to be
1: an effective player. (laughs) I, I, and this is, see, and I waited all the way to the end so you can cut this out, but I understand (laughs) Brutus. Man, (laughs) rough. Oh, you know, all I said was that you are a big boy. That's all I said. But, and as I put it out to them, you did not lie. I am a big boy. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Very good. Well, thanks for
0: listening, everybody.
1: <laughs> and good night. Good night. You got to leave that in.
0: Yeah, I right. probably will. <laughs> Knees up. Watch the knives. To join the conversation... Comment on the show post at guildballtonight.com or email us at guildballtonight at gmail.com. Phil can also be heard on the Game Pumping Podcast. Bill can also be heard on the Gamer's Lounge Podcast. Check them out on iTunes. Also, feel free to give us five stars on iTunes. Every little bit helps. But when you do, don't write a review of the show. No. Instead, just tell everybody why you love Flint so very much. following events are all coming shortly. The St. Louis Open in St. Louis, USA. November 15th, 2015. More information at tiebreak.co.uk. The Scaldic Shield at the Northwest Game Center in Stockport, UK. November 14th and 15th. Find out more on the Guild Ball Informer YouTube channel Mace Convention Demos in Charlotte, North Carolina on November 14th 2015 more information on the Charlotte area Miniature Gamers Facebook page the WCWW Winter Wreath in Stockton UK December 12th 2015 more information on the Guild Ball Forum I shoot better after a beer in Taunton, UK on January 31st, 2016. More information in the Guild Ball Forums and Crucible Orlando in Orlando, Florida. March 12th and 13th, 2016. More information in the Guild Ball Forums. If you'd like us to mention an event near you, drop us an email at guildballtonight at gmail.com with the information on what, when, where, and how to get more information, and we will include it. And now for this week's edition of the Guild Ball Club Roundup. To get your club included in this list... Send us an email at guildballtonight at gmail.com. Include the name, location, and best contact method, and we'll get you in the next show. You'll need to resubmit your club about every three episodes, so keep that in mind. Armada Games in Tampa, Florida. Find them at armadagames.com. South London Wargamers in London, UK. Find them at slwargamers.com. Dot club, Telmsford Bunker in Chelmsford, UK Leeds Night Owls in Leeds, UK Find those two on Google 1066 Wargaming in Hastings, UK Capital Guild Ball at Dream Wizards in Rockville, Maryland 2-6 Wargaming in Cambridge, UK Warhammer Gaming Club in Sunderland, UK Siege Tabletop in Beverly, UK. Sheffield and Rotterham Games Club in Sheffield, UK. Group North Wargaming Society in Adelaide, Australia. War and Peace Gaming Club in Sandyacre, UK. Outpost in Sheffield, UK. Dark Worlds Gaming Society in Farum, UK. The Dice Saloon in Brighton, UK. Colorado Gilball Facebook Group in Denver, Colorado Our House Games in Monroe, Michigan and the Middlesbrough Gaming Club in Middlesbrough, UK Find all of those on Facebook It is time once again for another installment of Ox's Poetry Corner Next show might be live You think they can pull it off? See you in St. Louis. In fact, I we just got a <laughs> we we acquired a fifth rat recently, but that's another story.